0: Grizzly Fest 2020. That's right, the special week is here. Welcome inside Studio 5. Glad to have everybody aboard. If this is the first time you're seeing our beautiful new studio, please be sure to hit the subscribe button below on this YouTube channel. And if this is the first time hearing about Grizzly Fest, be sure to start following these social media accounts for this weekend's schedule of events and activities. It's going to be a ton of fun for this year's 100% online homecoming event. Also, we would like to invite our GGC Athletics uh, Grizzlies, former Grizzlies, once a Grizzly, always a Grizzly, but uh, our our former student-athletes here at GGC get involved. There's an athletics mixer. There's all sorts of events online all weekend long. Again, follow those social media accounts. You must register for it to get those invites, but it's welcome to all of our Grizzlies. Also, we would like to invite you all to keep up with Chase Hodges and GGC men's and women's tennis this weekend, and Rome, Georgia, at the ITA Oracle Cup as the Grizzlies compete for national championships. Go Grizz! Go so Grizz, that's right. Be sure to log on to ggcathletics.com for the complete schedule and draw and follow the Grizzlies' journey toward another national championship. Get daily updates on social media as well. Go Grizzlies. Looking forward to them competing this weekend. As for us and our 100% alumni edition of the Grizzly Grouse Show, we have a very – professional guest coming up next here on the Grizzly Digital Network welcome to GGC Athletics you are looking at the beautiful Grizzly Athletics complex home of the championship winning Georgia gwinnett Grizzlies completed in 2013 the two story 25000 square foot main athletics building The Grizzly Athletics Complex comes alive over 300 days a year with team competitions in addition to youth clinics and premier showcases attracting visitors from all over the world. For more information on our first-class facility, visit our facilities page at ggcathletics.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to Studio 5. I am so excited about our special guest here today. Uh, We go way back down at the GDC soccer facility. He's an alumni now and a shining example of what a Grizzly is out in our community. He's a two-time all-conference player, three-time conference champion, NAIA All-American, and GDC's all-time leader insists my good friend Jacker. Jack, how are you doing, bud? I'm
1: doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Did
0: I miss anything on the uh, on the introduction there? No, Is there no, anything it was else? You it made it good? sound good, yeah. Is there a Twitter handle we'll put on the screen? No, right no sorry, sorry,
1: sorry,
0: How are you, my friend?
1: I'm doing well. Doing really well. Um obviously it's been a big year for me with Atlanta and uh, obviously with the covid. It's good just to play, you know, what I mean obviously I didn't think I'd be playing. Um, but overall under the circumstances and doing well.
0: Uh, Grizzly Fest is going on right now. It's all virtual. So this is a 100% alumni episode here on the Grizzly Grouse Show. And that's why we wanted to invite you on the show. So in true homecoming fashion, as everyone reminisced and tells stories, what's what's your right out of the gate here, your favorite memory at GDC?
1: I think for me, is I thought about this one for a while. And um, for me, it's it's actually making the last sight, you know like making nationals mm-hmm. in the last in my last season because I feel like we had great teams all the year like from the start to the end, but we never you know we we weren't able to get that that far um and the way we went out against Thomas, my third year is kind of like I scored that goal, that was probably the best goal, I don't know how it went in, but scored three goals away from home, and you'd think that would be enough against any other team to go through to the nationals, but uh unfortunately it wasn't, and just the way we went out that year just made it very special the next year when we were able to go the next step and I think for me like soccer wise that was probably it um trips wise I think Denver when we went to Denver was just unbelievable experience and just you know one of the experiences you have when you you come to a place like GGC
0: Going back to the timeline you you graduate in 2017 the year we go to the quarterfinals in Delray Beach and and then here we are today now you're, you're wearing different colors and a different yeah. and a different logo and a different shield on your shirt. So let's talk about how, how did you get hooked up with Atlanta United to get that first tryout in that training session?
1: I think, to be honest, it, it was Deku when he set up. I think it was my sophomore year. He set up for Tony Annan, the, the academy director, to come in and have a chat with us. And obviously, I knew of him, but I didn't. I'd never met him before, but I knew, obviously, of him because we're from the same place back home. Um, so I think that was the first time I was really open to, like, all right, like, there, there might be a path here where i could go professional you know what i mean because when i first came over there wasn't really a clear path of like all right you can go here and then you can go there um so i think that was when it when it first when i thought all right you know i could have a chance here um and it was basically out of the blue that i went up uh, sharpie went to gated i followed him to gated sharpie <laughs> came here i followed him here sharpie goes to atlanta and i follow. you can't get rid of us do you know what i mean it's like but uh yeah, I just texted Tony out of the blue and I just, I think I got, I might even got his number off Sharpie and just said, look, uh, like, you know who I am now, um, obviously from the from the meeting in college and um, would there be any chance of a trial? And it was basically just hoping he'd give us the opportunity, you know, and, and he said, look, I'll, I'll see what I can do and try and get you like a week's trial. And obviously I went in and, and obviously Sharpie's the goalkeeping coach, so obviously I've seen him and just tried as hard as I could and, and uh, the one week turned into two weeks to three weeks. And then because I was local and, you know, it, it worked out, I ended up staying on trial for like three months. So I was training with, I felt like I was part of the team before I was even in the team. And um, at the end, yeah, they offered us a professional contract, which I mean, for me, like I've lived in this city for nearly six years now. So it's kind of like a second home, you know? So you can't really, I can't really explain how, how much it means to us to play for Atlanta coming from GGC.
0: Pretty cool. And I know on December 5th is when you actually signed that contract. Yeah um what, what was that like I know you got family back home that yeah. were with you in spirit yeah. um you, you had some friends here how did you try to enjoy that day
1: yeah I mean it was just it was brilliant for I mean it's a moment I've dreamed for forever you know what I mean um like I say I've been rejected a lot back home and you've just got to keep going and going and going and pers- you know persevering with what you believe you know you got to just trust your own ability and when when that day came it was just it's just unbelievable it's like for me and my family it was just you know I know how proud they are of me and um, I just couldn't believe it. Really, it took a few took a few weeks to settle in, and you know, and, and kind of be like, all right, now I need to push on again.
0: And then I remember seeing the 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 publication from Atlanta United, yeah. and I'm like, it can happen. It is going to happen. There's more coming too.
1: Yeah, I mean that that was a big thing for me. Um, obviously, like I say, going back to my other point, you don't have to go to one of these big Division One schools to be, you know, given the opportunity, like to be the first one. Something I'm very proud of. Do you know what I mean? It just shows that, like, other clubs that are looking for players, you know, they could see that name now, GGC, and recognize it just from, you know, what's happened. Um, so, like, to help the program and the university, like as much as I can, is everything that I want to do. And obviously, it's very proud of being the first professional player to come from this place.
0: Give us some insight. What's it like to be a professional soccer player? I mean, what's that, that daily regiment like? I think there's there's a there's a fictitious belief that you know you sleeping on clouds and you're yeah, I mean, the best it, breakfast but there, there's a grind to it
1: no yeah it's to be honest it's, it's like some of your mates play a professional back home and obviously you didn't really know what they mean about like until you're actually in the same position yourself um and like we'll get up early we'll go have breakfast you'll train and then say if we have a double day you'll be go back to rest and you come back again to train but if not then obviously you'll have lunch and there's gym after that and and just like the games, people think like, oh, it's you know, it's you it's, just show it's up brilliant a being and, a professional, yeah. but it's a lot of hard work, you know, it's stressful and like obviously travelling for the games, like we're never on the same clock, you know what I mean? You're sleeping up all over the place. Um, but obviously I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for anything else in the world, you know, this is what I want to do. Um but yeah, it's it's not it's not all as pretty as everyone says it is.
0: Well, patience prevails, and yeah. you started in all sixteen games for Atlanta United Two, their yeah. USL team, their development team, and you had twenty-one successful crosses. Yeah. and for your position in the entire league, it's one of the highest marks. Yeah, you, you had a, a couple of assists too, and in true Jack Ger faction, a rocket of a goal versus Miami. Yeah, um, I will say that when I saw the goal, uh, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't surprised, yeah. but I did have to watch the replay and go. He hit that with his right foot. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, we're noticing seeing the rockets from the left yeah, side yeah. for you. Yeah, but uh, that that uh, yeah. that, uh, and that the missile camera,
1: and the cameraman he would sacked as well. <laughs> if that was Mahoney, he wouldn't have missed that. So that's the only shot I took like that. It
0: was upper upper ninety two as well. And maybe. he changed the
1: camera angle before I hit it. <laughs> so, I mean, you couldn't write it to be honest. Like, honestly, coming in, obviously, I didn't know what the professional environment was. Obviously, it's my first year. Um so like my, mine and my family's goal was, was just to play every game, you know, to be in the starting line of every game, um, and to come out at the end of the season and, and create the most chances in the league from my position out of any player is like I couldn't ask for anything more, you know what I mean like that's that's a like a great first season for me, but obviously there's still a lot to build on and a lot to improve. Um, so I'm just excited what you know for next season now.
0: You mentioned the mental side of being a professional. Physically, you've got gifts, you've got tools, and yeah. you're learning and growing those. How has GGC soccer prepared you for being a professional?
1: Yeah, and uh, this was one I was thinking about as well. And, and to be honest, honestly, probably not like soccer related at all. Um, like I say, when I first came here, I wouldn't say I had an attitude problem, but I was, I could have been more mature. You know what I mean? Like I, I butt heads a lot with with Deku, and 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 the way they transferred me to Atlanta it's probably more as a person so I wouldn't even say it's like soccer related it's you know you always bangs on about when you come in as a kid and you leave as a man you know what I mean and I'm just 17 coming in I'm fresh off the plane just, the just let us play you know what I mean just you know I'm not bothered about anything like that but honestly it's like something either clicked or the last two years where I really changed my mentality and thought you know there, there could be something for me here um, and that's what I thank him for the most out of everything not even soccer related I just say that the difference in person of me when I first came, it was when I left. It's just, that's shaped my life. You know what I mean? And it's changed me as a person, which has evidently helped us um, the way I look at everything now.
0: That's awesome. Well, we're, we're so proud of you, Jack. Um, your season just got over with yeah. A2. Yeah. So you're kind of in this weird influx, uh, being in the USL, MLS is still playing. Give us an idea of what's next for you. What, what's on the horizon?
1: The next thing for me is is just, Personally, is just to reach the highest level that I can. You know what I mean? And like I said, you never know what's going to happen with the first team or, or you know, injuries or whatever. It's just try and prove that I should be, you know, in the top team, um, and just working as hard as I can to be able to get at that level. Um, and that's that's all I'm trying to do. Obviously, like I said, this season we've played our our team was the youngest team in the in the USL. Got like 15, 16 year old kids playing. Um, so it's kind of like you know I'm 24. If I go to any other team, I'm probably the young one of the youngest players. But in this team, I'm like one of the, the old figureheads, you know. So it's kind of adopted that role. Um, but I believe in the system that they do, and I, and I believe in like what they're trying to do with the kids and and everyone else. And for me, just play as well as I can, as well as help the the younger lads as as well as I can, and and try and see where I can go from here, see how high I can go, and and see how much I can improve.
0: Well, it it goes without saying. We are your biggest fans. We're your biggest supporters. Uh, you do us proud every single day and everything you do and I uh, want to wish you the best of luck and thank you so much for being on the show here thank today. Thank you very
1: much for having me. It's been great and uh, obviously any time you come back to GDC is, it's a great memory.
0: Absolutely looking forward to it. You're going to see more of Jack in the future on the Grizzly Digital Network here. More on that later on, but for now, uh, we enjoy Grizzly Fest here with Jack Ger, GDC men's soccer alumni. We'll take a quick break and we'll have a new segment for you on the other side of this here on the Grizzly Grouse Show on the Grizzly Digital Network.
2: proudly displaying your GDC degree in a frame on a wall we want to say thank you thank you for your dedication and hard work and commitment to George Gwinnett College you are the few the proud the Grizzly graduates
0: welcome back to the Grizzly Growl show a very special alumni only episode here on this wonderful Grizzly Fest 2020 And so we wanted to take this opportunity for you, Grizzlies on the other side of the screen to reminisce about the wonderful times and memories that you'll have forever here at George Winnett College. Of course, there's the first game that you competed wearing the Grizzly uniform. There's a wonderful, funny road trip story that you might have. Even winning the AI Championships, there's Senior Day, celebrating after the opening round victory, going to the World Series at the final site, and then of course, winning those national championships here at GGC. And then finally, There's that very special moment you'll never forget when you met your soulmate. That's right, GGC Athletics bringing people together forever in a new segment we call Grizzly Weddings where Grizzlies married other Grizzlies. Check it out. Congratulations once again to those Grizzlies. We are so proud in each and every one of you as you tote that GGC alumni flag in your respective communities. Big thanks to Jack Gurr for being on the show here today. We are huge fans and supporters of him as well as our local MLS club, Atlanta United. We're also big fans of the Office of Alumni. They worked countless hours to put on this week's virtual homecoming event known as Grizzly Fest 2020. Big shout out and thanks to them as well. Get involved, get active, get online, sign up for those events. It's going to be a ton of fun all weekend long, Grizzly Fest 2020. We hope you guys enjoyed the show. That'll do it for us here. It's a great day to be a Grizzly. So long, everybody. <music>
3: This Week in Startups is brought to you by... Calm. Seize the day and sleep the night with the help of Calm, the number one app for sleep. This Week in Startups listeners get 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash twist. That's C A L M.com slash twist. Eight Sleep. The first bed engineered to improve your sleep through dynamic cooling and heating detailed sleep tracking and more try the pod for free for 100 days at eight sleep.com slash twist and linkedin a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters go to linkedin.com slash twist and get a 50 dollar credit towards your first job
4: post welcome back to this week in startups yeah everybody's eating pizza having a great time here in san francisco we run open office hours um couple dozen times a year it's just a way for me to get together with founders try to give them uh, some help whenever their most pressing problems are uh, and maybe meet a few to invest in eventually so next up is sebastian his company is tailpath tell me what are you working on and what's your biggest problem
2: hi thank you for inviting me here so um we are working on securing the tracking of goods that's what we provide we are a b2b company and uh our biggest challenge right now is to create demand for our product so it's we are on the way to a uh, product market fit that holy grail of startups and while uh, on that path we we uh, discovered that we are selling to companies that want to securely track their goods right but those goods are probably sold to consumers if we take the business side so just uh, um, we we are we are targeting three niches so one is public sector the other are ngos okay. and the other are businesses So, so on let the business me stop side you there
4: whenever you're explaining something always give a great example so we tell okay. everybody examples matter we're all wondering in this b2b business you're tracking goods yep. um does, and so we're wondering what goods are you tracking and Why are you tracking them and from where? So are you tracking stuff in a container ship to make sure it makes it from China to the port of San Francisco or Los Angeles? Or are you tracking stuff in a supermarket to make sure people don't shoplift? Are you using RFID to do this? Are you using satellite? Give us an example of who your customer is and why they use your product.
2: Okay, so we have on the business side, as I was saying, we have three use cases that we are working on right now. Tracking of diamonds, honey, and wine.
4: Okay, you didn't say that before. Diamonds, honey, and wine.
2: That, these are the three okay. areas that we are exploring in the Great. business side.
4: How do you track diamonds, wine, and honey?
2: Okay, let's take diamonds. So uh, we are actually inscribing in, inside the diamond uh, a tiny QR code, and then you have to magnify it 50 times and check it if it's Great. legit or and not. And they
4: already do that now? They,
2: not really. No. Not
4: with QR codes, but they do mark diamonds. Not so much. Are you saying a low percentage of diamonds are actually labeled? Because I've heard about this technology to label diamonds many times for many years.
2: They label the the things around it or or they come with some sort of certificates, but that's exactly the problem that they're actually lost or counterfeit along the way.
4: Got it. So you want to put a QR code in a diamond using... Now, we all want to know what technology does the, this?
2: Uh, our client is providing the technology. So we are providing the QR code and the tracking system, Got
4: it. the okay. secure
2: tracking system by using blockchain. So
4: that's okay. what we are doing. Now, we're starting to understand you're taking diamonds that in some that's other person has a technology to put a QR code on them. Then you want to take that QR code and put it on the blockchain. No, no, no.
2: We, we provide the QR code. You give them
4: the QR code. Yep. Then you take that QR code, put it on the blockchain, which yep. is immutable. Exactly. Which means it cannot be changed. Exactly. And we know that this three-carat Asher cut with this clarity has this QR code. Right. And originated from this diamond. And the
2: traceability, code. yes, on the map. Got it. On the timeline. I
4: way. have heard... This concept actually before as well, a lot of sure. people wanted to do ICOs around mm. tracking diamonds and high-value assets on the immutable blockchain. Very obvious idea, obviously, if you're talking about the immutable blockchain, right. a public ledger for everybody to have access to the most secure stuff. What does honey have to do with this in wine? Well, those are consumables. right? Wine so, could be collectible.
2: So um, let's take honey. So there, are, there is uh, three times more honey sold worldwide. Yearly than it is produced. So the th- two thirds are fake. And that leads to people dying, actually. So that's okay. a huge problem. And then it, in terms of money, there are a lot of money lost. So as you, you can think imagine.
4: So you'll be able to identify the good honey one. that is
2: good. Exactly.
4: Because the people who make good honey are going to laser inscribe. In the honey, it's,
2: it's enough just somewhere, to put somewhere a QR on the cap code or, In the yeah, honey, you would, no, you put the it on code. the box in the jar. On the box, and then you put on a jar, and okay. you have to yeah, serialize each jar.
4: So this is your idea for a business. Do how do honey providers currently make sure that people are buying honey that is legit?
2: Well, they uh, sell to. To uh, legitimate distributors. Got it. So they don't actually have this Got it. need So the distributor. So the distributor actually. The proof point. So we have four, four um, actors the producer, the distributor, the retailer, and the end user, the wow. consumer. So, so the honey producers in that example are only interested in selling to distributors. But, however, then that's our problem and our biggest challenge how do we create demand? Tomorrow, or I hope I dream someday, the consumers will say, okay, is this jar of honey uh, certified in some way? May I track or see the provenance of of this specific jar? And if consumers want to do that, yes, I would, I would want to know. Yeah, yeah, yes, because uh, if you see the numbers on on wine, on uh, a lot of other, other niches or industries, we eat a lot of bad stuff. You have no idea. What I see that pizza for the high. Uh, So, do you know how it was made? I'm pretty sure you don't. You kind of trust the pizza place that you bought it from. (laughs)
4: Uh, But I could see with some high end item, the stakes going up, you wouldn't want to know that this wine was certified. And so, there is a marketplace called StockX. And what StockX does is just for high end sneakers, which costs, let's call it $300 and above, they If you want to sell one, you send it to StockX. So if you have the pair of Yeezys, you sell it, you send it to StockX. StockX then sends it to the buyer. And in between, they have a group of people certifying that they're real and putting a tag on it with a hologram. And that is part of it, having the provenance. And then obviously auction houses are supposed to do this. Mm -hmm. And wine uh, resellers are supposed to do this or wine consultants. Um, So I think it's... Like a very intellectually interesting discussion of the blockchain that's occurred for years of provenance, I guess. Exactly. Is the, uh, provenance, or provenance,
2: pro- provenance? Provenance. Provenance is and the term
4: that people use. Um, and I think it's incredibly niche. And most people don't care about the provenance of their consumable items. And, and so that might be your problem is… exactly. You know, you feel that this is important, but the world doesn't, right? Right. And so that is a very hard place to be as a founder because you have to solve two problems. One, you have to build a business, and two, you have to make people care. Very hard to do. And actually, if you look at Tesla, it's really the perfect example. Most people did not care about electric cars. They had long forgotten the EV1. And when Elon invested in the company and then eventually became CEO of it, the Roadster... Um, was a toy that was super expensive that 2,000 people bought. And it was a proof point. And then the Model S, you know, thousands of people, then tens of thousands of people bought. And that was a 10-year crazy journey, um, over 10 years now. And so it's very hard to get consumers to care about something that's completely radically new Right. like this i
2: think that's why we are not only targeting consumers we are actually not targeting consumers at all these are the problems that target consumers but we do have so uh, two other interesting uh, use cases and pilots that we've ran already paid pilots okay
4: what are the paid pilots? so
2: well, one one is uh, with uh um, donations tracking donations of clothing items adding an accountability layer to the donation process so now you have no idea where they get to you you leave them somewhere in a church or a deposit or some box on the street. And Somebody
4: paid you to track old clothes. Yes. Who? It's an NGO. Okay. That's wild. Yeah, we have yep. a company called um, AidTech that was doing something similar in the blockchain, uh, but doing it for donations for refugees. Of money yeah. or,
2: or, or, or uh, items.
4: Yeah, no, more for aid. And on one side, you know, you could donate and then see... On the other side, oh, this refugee from yes, Syria. That's, then a, that's spent a big the money, problem. Yeah.
2: And we are actually uh, uh, in discussions with uh, the World Food Programme yeah. on, on that area. Yeah, so. And the third thing that I would like to add, because it's pretty interesting, we've been uh, the technology providers for the largest uh, medical military exercise in NATO's history. Mm-hmm. So NATO used the whole technology uh, for 2,500 people from 40 countries in Romania this year in April. So, uh, Because we are uh, in a crowded space of startups uh, on a blockchain, of course. We are blockchain agnostic. By the way, we will not issue any kind of coin or we, yeah. we are not stuck into a, a blockchain. We are using public blockchains. And um, what differentiates us from our competitors? But what is your biggest challenge?
4: You're getting consumers to drive the demand here? Is what not only
2: consumers, but to, to find the product market fit and to find which, uh, which target group do we sell, solve the problem, the most stringent problem for? Yeah. Because we found we solve a problem in the military, we solve a problem in donations tracking, we solve some problems in wine, diamonds. Yeah, so the diamonds, way you're going to know so if
4: you actually solve the problem, I, I might pause for a second. When? Uh, no, no, hold on. Uh, I, I might pause okay. and think about if you've actually solved the problem for the military, and the way to know that would be you were able to raise your prices and they renewed and did the product again. So you did pilots. Did the pilots that you did, the three pilots, result in people um, saying, I need to have this technology. When can you have it up and running to do like a full-blown deployment? Or did they say thank you for that? That was interesting.
2: So as you know, in the military, it takes a lot of time. The sales process takes forever. Uh, So we have no idea if we are there yet. On, on the donations uh, side, we have some good feedback from the market, let's say, but it's too early. So that's why we are now focusing okay, on so the you, business side. You
4: didn't side. answer my question, which is, did any of them renew? Of the three, have any of them spent more money with you?
2: Yes, the ones with the donations.
4: The donations? Yes. How much did they spend with you on the pilot? How much did they spend with you on the renewal? Ballpark.
2: So the pilot was done on a monthly uh, contract of uh, $1,000. Okay. It's discounted from $1,500 from our price point. And then uh, it was almost one year ago, and it's an ongoing contract. Great. And then they uh, paid uh, another, let's say, $10,000 for new things to add to, to the platform.
4: So you're making custom software for them. They're paying you $1,000 a month. It's, yeah. So that's I think the right way to do it is if they're willing to build this custom software and solution because it's an emerging market, you have no idea when the market will actually manifest itself. The market for electric cars like took decades. The market for crypto might take an immutable blockchain and tokens. It might take decades. Um, It feels like that to me, actually, uh, because here we are 10 years in, and there's no real good application Mm -hmm. yet, so other than speculation. Well, I hope
2: we are one of them. Well, hopefully, (laughs) and
4: so I think what you have to do is survive until that time, and so I think actually doing paid pilots Mm -hmm. and custom work is a good idea because you'll learn, and then it takes the pressure off you having to raise money.
2: We we have raised uh, some money uh, on a pre-seed, and we are uh, right now actually raising some more so
4: yeah i mean the space has been kind of um uh it's really been tarnished by the ico movement so in silicon valley there's no appetite really for crypto projects right now
2: well we are not a crypto project we are a software as a service that uses blockchain as a security layer so that's
4: yeah so you know i I think you're going to get even with that people put the blockchain with crypto you may think it's different because you're a crypto person it is different Uh, But that's not – they're not going to look at it differently. They're going to put it into the same ICO bucket because when people were selling ICOs, they were leading with blockchain. So it's part of the ICO movement. (laughs) It might eventually emerge that public blockchains that are immutable are just so transcendent that that's more important than the tokens. Who knows? Um, But I like your strategy of doing projects, doing custom software. Now, most VCs and investors are going to say – you shouldn't do custom software. You should just build a platform, whatever. But I don't think you have that luxury in this situation with a market so demolished after the ICO madness. So I think you should just keep doing what you're doing Thank and you. take your time. Don't try to raise money. Just do these custom software projects until you start to see some pattern mm-hmm. that actually gets traction. It's very much like the virtual reality space, which we've had like yeah. – you know, over 30 years, there's been so many different virtual reality swings at bat. And to this date, there's no virtual reality application that people are crazy about. Did anybody put on VR goggles today? Raise your hand if you put on today. VR goggles. How many people put <laughs> them the on yesterday? <laughs> anybody? You you did put them on yesterday. You did put VR goggles on yesterday. Okay, that's strange. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. uh, that's the first time that's ever happened. Um, did you immediately take them off and hand them back to the person? Um Anybody else use VR goggles? By the way, that was one out of like 60 people in the room. Uh, did one, anybody use VR, a VR headset uh, in the last 30 days? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, that's an interesting one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Do any of you own VR goggles? Raise your hand. One, two, I own them. I have never used them. Right, I'm going to draw three. Okay. So you can see that yeah. has been like this long journey. And if I were to ask people, how many people use the VR product... Um, how many people use a VR product regularly every week? Raise your hand. Okay, nobody, including the person who used it yesterday by happenstance. So you look at that space. I mean, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars have probably been poured into it. And still, no consumers or B2B products are really making it work. Might be that in 20 years, they'll be sitting here and there's still no crypto No, sorry, I have to to, uh, kindly
2: disagree because we've just been to OECD forum. I'm just telling you there
4: might be. So given that there might be no product that emerges, obviously you're doing it, so you believe it's going to be quicker. I think you have to prepare for Mm -hmm. winter. So what I'm telling you is you know, it's a little cold out there, and you see the snowflakes, yeah. and they're like, what do they call it's them, flurries? degrees out there. Yeah, no, it's really hot here. <laughs> but, you know, like, you come outside the door, and you're like, oh, it's flurries. I don't think there's a blizzard coming. I think there's a blizzard coming. I think you're going to be Thanks snowed in. I think you're going to run out of provisions and all the crap Bring it on. We're yeah. we ready for it. So, so thank you. Uh, let's hear it for Sebastian. Good. Well done. Thank you. Good job. Oh, the holidays, it's so stressful. There's so much going on. You got to go to parties. You got to go shopping. You know all about this, the travel. It's so stressful. And when you finally get in your bed, you want to be able to fall asleep and you want to stay asleep. How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to do it with Calm.com. This is an amazing application that has tons of sleep stories and meditations that will put you to bed and keep you asleep for the whole night. And when you sleep well... The next day, you're calm, you're relaxed, and you're more focused, and you make less mistakes. We all know this. And you've got this huge library now. Soundscapes, some people love those. You know, the ocean crashing and the birds chirping. Some people love that. Other people like sleep stories. Everybody's different. They've got something for everyone. And my associate, Press, he's got a boss who is really intense. And he was having trouble sleeping. And here he goes. He goes to the sleep section. He browses through all the categories to get that ASMR thing. You know, when people talk like this, they have sleep music, they have nonfiction, and he decides to go with some sleep music instead of a sleep story, and he selects Lullaby to the Stars. Oh, my little associate pressure's going to get a good night's sleep and come back the next day to work, charged and ready to go. Here is an amazing offer. This Weekend Startup listeners get 40% off 4 0 4-0, 4-0, 40% off a Calm premium subscription by going to calm, dot mcom Yep, they got that great domain, slash twist. You go to calm.com slash twist and you will get 40% off. That's just for the holidays. And 60 million people have taken advantage of calm.com to make their lives more calm and smooth and focused. And that's what you need. Trust me, I use it every day. Um, One of my daughters uses it every night. She loves it. She can't go to sleep without it every night. She says, hey, can I get a sleep story? Of course you can. It's amazing. Find out why com.com slash twist is what everybody's talking about right now. And you see it in the, you see it in the app store, right? You see it in the app store on the rankings all the time. It's because so many people are getting such great value from this company. All right. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this week in startups. We are live here at a neighborly in the mission district of San Francisco. My next guest is Sana. She is from Ribbit. It is a neighborhood-focused rewards app that unlocks and empowers mom-and-pop shops, which have obviously been struggling in the age of Amazon and Walmart before that. And her biggest challenge is that investors have a negative bias towards mom-and-pop, towards the mom-and-pop market during meetings they've had. I will tell you, uh, Sana, there is a reason why they have that negative uh, feeling. What do you think the reason is?
5: Um I don't think that maybe I didn't frame that correctly because it's not that they are negative about the mom and pop market. In fact, I think it's an exciting market because it's huge and it has been it's still largely untapped, but I think the negativity or uh the biases around it are that multiple failed attempts have taken place in this space. Got it. Um and so the biggest struggle is that we spend the vast majority of our conversation uh, about distinguishing ourselves and setting us apart before we can dig into the opportunity further.
4: Right. Because people have historical institutional knowledge and you are acting in a system called the history of startups that have been attempted. One of those startups that was attempted was Groupon. The early investors made great money. A lot of people lost money and people... For some reason, consider Groupon a failure and Living Social a failure now, and I think that was largely expectations, but you have to fight against that. And also, um, Amazon's ascension means I think we can all see the end of the mom-and-pop shop. I believe there won't be mom-and-pop shops. There might be mom-and-pop experiences, but you actually think there's going to be mom-and-pop shops 10 years from now?
5: So it's been super interesting. Um, The way we look at the mom-and-pop shop market is- What about my
4: question? Do you actually believe there'll be mom and pop shops? Absolutely, absolutely.
5: Because I think that Amazon can't, replace an experience that takes place in store. Um, we're always going to go out on a date and you're going to want to go to a really nice local shop which says something about um, why you You mean went a restaurant there. or
4: a store to buy goods It at. could
5: be. So when we say mom and pop shops, it's of every category. So oh, whether so you it's... you include restaurants and experiences. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So, it's so I co-
4: believe restaurants and experiences. I'm talking specifically about e-commerce versus buying stuff in stores.
5: Yeah, I think that there is... I think that there'll always be a space for... Um, Brick and mortar. Um, it's a different experience. People focus on wanting to spend uh, their money on products that are sustainable, that tell a story. Um, and people are focusing on, so, actually, an interesting thing. So, despite Amazon's growth and um, people buying ebooks, in New York, there has been a 35% increase in independent bookstores, um, groceries, like small Why grocery is that? shops. I think it's just Re- no, why
4: in New York specifically? Why did that happen? I think was there's a it was like a 35 on- increase of like there were six shops and now there's eight? Because two think- <laughs> rich people love books and they started a money losing bookstore?
5: Uh, no, I think it's actually the focus on people being more
4: conscientious of
5: where they're spending. Um, local shops Wait, didn't, collect. Did
4: Strand shut down in New York?
5: Sorry, which one? The sh-
4: wasn't the Strand the big bookstore? And I think they shut down in New Not New York. entirely sure. Ah, so just so you know, when you quote something like that as a proof point, like that's your proof point, your evidence, you better be able to back it up and know the knowledge just in, if you're going to deal with an investor because they might think that's a really interesting point you have and then research it and you want your credibility to go up. So you should Absolutely. have that a little bit more backed up. There were six stores. There are two more, so it's gone up 35%. But what's really interesting, those two stores are sold out making this amount of money and they're now opening their third and fourth locations. That's a much better proof point because I've, right. as you're saying... Your proof points, I'm disagreeing with every one of them. Right. So you have to make sure that you're actually registering that I buy into what you're selling. I think D2C, direct-to-consumer, is going to be the nail in the coffin of local retail. I think people do care about what they're buying and putting in their body, but I think they'll just want to order it from their phone or from Instagram. So your business is going up against all of these trends – Um, And what VCs look for is, and they have uh, historical knowledge and signaling that says, if a market is rising, all the startups in it go up and you can become part of this groundswell. So we call it internally, when somebody is selling, when when somebody is going against the market like this, the market trend, we call it, you know, like selling ice cream on the Titanic. Like, yeah, maybe you'll, you'll sell some ice cream on the Titanic, but it's going down. And there was a whole cohort of companies that sold solutions to local newspapers to keep them from going out of business and let them compete against Craigslist. Do you know how it went? Go ahead. Do you know what a local newspaper is? Yeah, for sure. Which one do you subscribe to?
5: None. Got it. No, that's true. Have you
4: ever subscribed to one? No, I have not. Got it. And you're a millennial? You're 25? Yeah.
5: Everything's online. How That's old are you? Sure.
4: I'm 27. 27. So when I was growing up, I'm 47, 20 years older. Like local newspapers were everything, and like people started new ones, and it was like vibrant. So the point is, your um, people are having a negative bias towards not you, but they look at the market and the trend data they see in their successful companies is against what you are. You're actually believing. So it's really a belief system again, about like the system that the startups are going to work in. So tell us a little bit about what your company does. And what's your traction?
5: Yeah, so we're unlocking the collective power of independently owned mom and pop shops.
4: Okay, hold on a second. Yeah, not not in marketing speak. What you sell software to a mom and pop stop. And for this amount of money that lets them do this
5: Yeah, so we actually don't sell software to the mom and pop shop. That's what's different. So we reward, Yeah, so we reward people for shopping uh, at local stores, but it's not a rewards program just for one store, but the entire network of local mom and pops.
4: Great. So I have like a Visa card or an American Express card, and I get points, and anywhere I shop, that's the value proposition, right? They say, anywhere you shop, use your card, get rewards, anywhere you shop, you're doing that, but with an app, or something, or yeah, one of the little kiosks? App.
5: Yeah, so it's an app that um, people can pay directly through the app and collect points, they equal ah. to dollars that they can respend across the network of shops.
4: Got it, so you give cash back, and then you can use it at other shops. Where are you based, and how many stores do you have in your first market?
5: So we're based out of Toronto, um, okay. and we are in a 1.1 mile radius. We have 170 local shops.
4: Got it, so you convinced 170 people mm-hmm. to do this. So by the way, now your credibility is going way up with everybody. But what you said in the beginning was not credible. So here's my suggestion when you pitch the company. Most people don't believe in local retailers. We have 170 shops in a one-mile radius in Toronto, one of the most cosmopolitan and sought-after cities that's growing, and we make $10 per shop per month. And we've increased for the top 10% of our base of 170 stores, we've increased Their sales, 3% in the first six months. Something like that would then, you'd be proving to us that our position is wrong and that you have some special sauce, right? Right. So let's talk about, uh, how long have you been in market? So 18 months. Great. And how do you make money?
5: So we uh, take a transaction fee, so people pay directly through the app, and we take a 10% transaction fee, uh, which includes the payment processing. Is
4: this also for, like, ordering ahead?
5: Yeah. Uh, no, so it's just for the in-store experience. So whether you're getting your coffee in the morning, or you're going to go get a haircut, or buy a gift for a friend, um, you can pay through the app, get the points, and then use them at any of the participating stores, but it's it. inside
4: so the location. So I open up my app, uh, which is called Ribbit. Yes. And I scan my QR code at the checkout, which is a separate system than their POS. That's correct. That's your hardware.
5: Uh, so most, it's just an app that they can download from the app store. Um, and the we store. provide them, yeah, the store. So there's a merchant app, which they can download from the app store. Um, and we provide them with a little QR code. Uh, so um, there's no additional hardware.
4: So they take their phone and they scan my phone and they get paid?
5: Uh, So the merchant through their app will put in the amount that you owe in store. As a user, you just click pay on the Ribbit app and you scan the QR code and accept the total.
4: And what would I get cash back? What is my reward? Uh, if so I spent a, $100, what would I get?
5: Yeah, so you'd get 1,000 points. So it's a tier-based reward system, um, and it starts at 1% and goes all the way up to 2.9. Um, and that's your basic rewards, which then what's interesting is because we have... Uh, okay,
4: hold on a second. So it's still confusing. Always try to make it... Anticipate your answer confusing and work on answering as concisely as possible. I spend $100, I get a dollar back?
5: Uh, yes.
4: Or... If I spend a thousand dollars, I would get two point two point nine percent back. Correct. Got it. So I would get twenty-nine dollars back if I spend a thousand. Correct. But I can but I can only get that money and spend it in another store.
5: That's good. So, or that store. Yeah. Or that store.
4: And any of so the network. Let's go with the thousand dollars and I got twenty-nine dollars back. Of that twenty-nine dollars, how much do you get?
5: We take ten percent. So we take two point
4: nine. So you're getting ten percent of two point nine. 0.29 basis points or 10 basis points of 1%. So you're getting 10 basis points of every transaction.
5: Yeah, so let's say a $100 transaction goes through, we'll take $10 from there. That's our revenue. From-
4: no, 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 no. The 100, if somebody spends $100 in the store on coffee, you get $10. That's correct. Why would they do that?
5: So, because when, it, so that's what traditionally what's been happening in this space is people have been selling software to independent mom and pop shops saying the Starbucks across the street has got a killer rewards program. But the value for a user of a Starbucks rewards program is that there's a Starbucks at every street corner. Wait,
4: but I just want to make sure we're clear on the math here. If I buy a hundred dollars worth of coffee and cake for everybody, you take $10 of that from the merchant?
5: Yeah, so they get 90% a, of the sale.
4: They get 90% of the sale. So if they have a 20% margin in their coffee shop, you take half of their margin, so and then you, you also 10%. take a percentage of the 2.9% kickback or no?
5: No. So the 10% covers it all, and we're a centralized rewards program, so we run the rewards program. If, let's say you go and No, no, we spend- all
4: get that part. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to figure out what store in their right mind would give you 10% of their customer's revenue.
5: So a lot of it is that there's incremental revenue. When a customer, when a merchant is joining the Ribbit Rewards program, they're joining a network of other okay. local shops. Um, so every time a shop signs on, their existing customer base signs up as well. Um, so when you're joining, you're not convincing your customer base to say, "Hey, um, sign up for my rewards program," but you're getting an existing a group of people who already share the sentiment of shopping local, mm. and the interesting things with, with rewards is you can get your existing customer base to spend more. So mm. we do things like bonus points where we can say, um, get 10 times the points when you spend $15 at no, the I store. No, I get that,
4: yeah. That, so that increases in the I'm still to get my head around why somebody in their right mind in a low margin business that makes 10 or 20% margin, because that's typically what they make. They make 10 or 20% themselves, would give you 10% of their revenue and then make no money every year in profit. Is it... Do you do the credit card transaction then for 3%? That's correct, yeah. So, so the 10% be,
5: includes everything.
4: So it includes 2 or 3% is what they normally pay to a credit card yeah, company? Yeah, it ranges between that. So you're actually taking more like 7 to 8%. That's correct. So let's just call it 7.5%. They'll give you 7.5% of their margin. Has anybody run their entire uh, point of sale through the system, or is it just 10% of their 10 of their no, yeah.
5: So we don't, we not saying that we're going to go after the full hundred percent of their, yeah. um, transactions. I would say our comfortable spot is about 15% of their 15%. sales. That's correct. And on average, yeah. uh, on the lower end, a local coffee shop, um, would make anywhere around 300,000 annually.
4: So they make 300,000 annually, 15% of it. Would go through the program, so that'd be forty five thousand goes through the program. If they made ten percent, just to make it simple, they would be giving you forty five hundred of their normal thirty thousand dollars in profit. So you'd actually be taking fifteen percent of their profits for the year.
5: Right. And but in exchange
4: for that, your promise is that they will get more cost more than fifteen percent. More customers. Yeah, so they're not having to,
5: yeah. So huh. most, of our, most of the customers who are on the app have either been um, sold a software solution where they have to manage and run their own loyalty. Um, no, so no, I get
4: that, yeah. What is the, um, how many people transacted yesterday?
5: Um, so on average, we have 51 transactions that take place in a day.
4: Got it. So yesterday, you assume you had about 51. Yesterday was 51. It was? Yeah. Okay, great. I was asking that question. That was like a probing question just to see if she like, is obsessed with her metrics dashboard, which I assume yeah. you load like 10 <laughs> times a day. I have it so you got awesome. 171 stores. One out of three has a transaction every day. So it's early days. You've got to get consumption up. Um, and that's fascinating. So it's interesting. Like, I, I didn't buy the business, but through your sheer force of will and performance, I kind of am fascinated. And so this is a great moment for founders to understand. As investors, we ask all these probing questions, and we are open to be proven wrong, so if you can prove me wrong that mom and pop stores are not going away, or that you can make a business selling into them, that's great. It seems like it's a hard business, and you need a lot of scale. But because you're taking seven and a half percent, maybe less scale than Square does, which takes just two point nine. Two point nine. That's the average. Yeah. And Square doesn't have a rewards program across Square.
5: Uh, No. So what they do is they have a store can activate, uh, or I think that she closed down or pulled back that division. But at some point, they'd started a store specific loyalty program where stores could unlock it for $10 a month.
4: I got pitched on a couple of different companies doing this just for independent um, coffee shops, trying to kind of create the Starbucks app for all the other stores. I think it's hard to make money. Um, And then there's a thing called Five Stars or something um, that I tried because it's all over San Mateo. I think they might be located in San Mateo. But it's a little machine um, at the front of stores, like a little iPad. And you type in your phone number. It says, hey, do you want any rewards?" You type your phone number And then they SMS you. Hey. And I did it with this archery place I took my daughter to. And they said, hey, two for one archery. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the archery store. Like, and I was like, yeah, we should go. And I was like, yes. And then I went and I got two for one archery. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't need to, like, save money on this, like, poor. I felt guilty. I was like, it's like $25 to come and shoot arrows with their equipment for an hour. And I should have paid 50 and I paid 25 And I felt like a jerk. So that's a
5: really good point. And yeah. most times how, so let's say five stars, for example. Yeah. Um They've got, each shop has got its individual loyalty program, which you can access through the Five Stars app. Um, so you have to go, let's say it's a boutique store where you want to go buy a pair of jeans. You're going to go buy a pair of jeans and get, let's say, a thousand points. But to get a reward at that store, you have to go multiple times to be able to redeem that there. No, and so it would five, happen across- five stars.
4: They just do one, but you would need to, it's, it's it is store specific. So yeah. you're not, that makes sense. And All th- right. So your original question, the negative bias towards mom and pops during your meetings- is just start with the numbers and own the fact that most people believe mom and pop stores are dying. And they're right. Many of the stores are dying and retail was overbuilt. However, it's building back up and we've got a solution that has traction in the market. Let me share with you our traction and why we think there's going to be a renaissance in retail. As opposed to you trying to convince me with metrics like that I think are bullshit, like, yeah, there's 35% more independent bookstores in Manhattan. It's like, yeah, that like dilettantes who have trust funds started and they'll be gone in 10 years or maybe they'll all lose money, right? So start with your performance as opposed to industry stuff. Industry stuff is like anybody can pull that shit off of a Google search. We don't need that. We could get some McKinsey report. What matters is what did you build? What did you build and how is it tracking? And what do your customers say about you? So you could also lead it with, Here are five of our customer stories. Let me tell you exactly how transformative this has been for them and how people are going to make the decision. You think we're going to make the decision as investors based upon some industry average or the trends and stuff like that. We might have perceptions of the market based on the trends. But if we see your numbers are irrefutable and your top 5% of your customers, 10% of your customers, we're going to talk to them during customer interviews, during diligence, and we're going to base our investment decision on those 10 customers and what they say. So your job is to make those 10 customers transform their lives and make sure that they can't live without you and that you make a great margin off those 10 customers and then sell us on those 10 and that you can find the other 10,000 of them. Let's give her a big round of applause. Well done. Thank you. Listen, if you're a founder, you're probably using a million different techniques to be better at your job. You know what the number one thing is? Getting a good night's sleep. That's how you become more efficient. That's how you become crisp and you make great decisions. That's the ultimate hack. You want to get a great night's sleep. and Eight sleep is the first bed engineered to improve your sleep. I have this, this bed and I love it. You can set the temperature on two sides of the bed. So my wife, she likes it a little bit uh, warmer than I do. I like it nice and cool. You can set the temperature and then you can look at your sleep scores. One of the things you can do is you can make minor adjustments. And one of the things I noticed was there were some lights on outside. You know, you have lights on a timer and we just set the lights back two more hours and all of a sudden my sleep score went up. I realized I had ambient light coming in from outside that was unnecessary. In addition to that, I had thermal alarm from the eight sleep bed. What this meant was it made it slightly cooler when I needed to get up at seven o'clock. And my heart rate goes up and I wake up naturally. I felt so rested. I could never sleep on another bed that doesn't have the eight sleep feature set. It is amazing. Customers who sleep on the pod fall asleep 15% faster. They toss and turn 25% less. And they increase that deep sleep. That's the one you want. They increase it 17%. And it's just an incredibly comfortable bed. So supercharge your health and productivity like I am. Get the sleep you need and deserve by heading to 8sleep.com slash twist. 8sleep, E-I-G-H-T, sleep, sleep, S-L-E-E-P.com slash twist. And you get to try the product risk-free for 100 days. They'll take it back if you don't like it. You're going to love it. That's how confident they are. Great job, 8sleep. And uh, really happy to be an investor in the company as well. Thanks for making some room on the cap table for me. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to Open Office Hours with Jason Calacanis at Neighborly. I am Jason Callaghanis. That is so weird. I need to get an announcer to say, welcome back to Open Office Hours with Jason. Uh, open Office Hours is a program we run. I uh, come down to the mission when it's over 90 degrees and we have no air conditioning, and we sit in a room and sweat and eat pizza and talk with a dozen founders uh, about their biggest, most pressing issues, and uh, we try to help them solve those issues or at least think about them and contextualize them. Next up is Elizabeth, Her company, Deep Isolation, Inc., is in the nuclear waste disposal solutions. She's brought some nuclear waste here with us. It's in a lead container. Don't panic, anybody. I'm joking. Um, And um, she's got a challenge, which is managing the balance between investors and strategic partners and managing rapid growth. Uh, So um, tell me. Is there a lot of nuclear waste to be disposed of? Because we haven't created a nuclear reactor in this country since 1973 or 4.
6: Yeah, so if you just look at it... You, well, there are a couple that are in construction right now, There's right. The, but you're right. I mean, there, there have n- has not been a lot of new nuclear in the United States, but there is a massive backlog of nuclear waste that has been building up since the 1950s. So if you look at how much nuclear waste is there today, it's about 80,000 tons.
4: 80,000 tons? And that's just
6: the United States.
4: In the United States. That seems... Like a small amount to me, given the value that was created by that nuclear energy. I mean, we're talking about almost a century of nuclear waste for the population of the United States. What would, how much space would that nuclear waste take up? Is that the size of a trailer, of a hundred trailers? So we would say the size of a hundred drill holes. A hundred drill holes. And that's sorry, sorry, 300 drill holes. 300 say. drill holes, which seems like a small number of holes. A drill hole is what? Educate us.
6: So we're looking at putting the nuclear waste down horizontally, taking advantage of the incredible innovations in the oil and gas and drilling industries. Fracking. We don't frack. No, I um, know. But fracking but means the industry, you go down and
4: then sideways exactly, into bedrock. Exactly. That's that right. So you can go innovation. down
6: deep and you can go horizontally for a mile, two miles. Gives you lots of space at the bottom.
4: Got it. How... Are we dealing with that nuclear waste today? Is it on tractor trailers in, like, the middle of the desert? Where is it?
6: So it's near the reactors where it was generated, okay. either still in the pools where, where it was ah. put temporarily, or in some cases they've removed it from the pools and put it on in concrete pads uh, near the reactor in temporary s- storage.
4: So we have been temporarily storing nuclear waste for decades. Yes. Either we leave them in the pool... Um, which is a fine solution until whatever thirty or forty years in, there's no more room, and it's- so
6: it's 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 fine for a short term. But as you start thinking longer term, you want to start thinking about incidents that could happen. What about ah. in the case of a terrorist attack? What about in the case of a? Uh, you start getting into earthquakes. I mean, the ah. longer you leave it there, plus concrete starts to degrade with time as ah. well.
4: So the best practice today is put it in concrete. And then the radiation can't permeate the concrete, is that correct?
6: So the radiation can't permeate the concrete, but this is meant as a temporary solution, not as a permanent one.
4: And when we define time periods, educate us. Temporary in concrete means 10 years or 100? 20 to 40. 20 to 40. Let's go with the low end, 20 years. So if there was a nuclear reactor putting stuff in concrete in 1970, what did they do in 1990, 2000, or 2010 To deal with that? Did they put it in more concrete, break it out? Yeah, so
6: so in the early days, um, the Department of Energy this is specific to the United States, but the Department of Energy promised to take the waste by nineteen ninety-eight. So that was a promise that was signed into the agreements that were made with the utilities. It was going to be sent to Yucca Mountain. So that was the intention. Where's that? Uh, that's in Nevada.
4: Got it. So there's Yucca Mountain?
6: It doesn't exist, but it has been a program on the books, or it was a program. Yucca Mountain. We, well, we were going to dig a hole into the uh, dig a big tunnel into the mountain.
4: Got it. Okay, and that never happened.
6: It never happened. Um, it ran into a lot of challenges. Um, I would say technical challenges. Oh. So, so the only solution that anybody has ever really started taking forward for nuclear waste are vast underground repositories. So this is where they mine out Yucca Mountain, 18 feet in diameter. Mm -hmm. um, And then they bring people down, they bring trucks down, and the idea is to eventually put the waste um, into into the cavern. Ah. Now clearly that hasn't happened.
4: So then they're looking for solutions, and all this has been building up, and you have Deep Isolation Inc., which is going to use that new technology uh, perfected with fracking, which goes sideways. And then you don't have to build these giant underground spaces you build these little tubes essentially that are what diameter
6: so we're looking at 18 inches in diameter
4: got it so then you have to take that waste out of the concrete Break if it's concrete. in
6: the concrete, it has to come out of the concrete. If How it's in you the pools, that? well, the good thing is that a lot of really smart people have been thinking about that for a very long time. So we've recently partnered with Bechtel, and uh, they have a hundred-year-plus um, reputation of doing tough things with concrete. So we're very so happy be to work with them.
4: Break that concrete and get the material out. Which right?
6: it would have had to happen anyway to yeah. send it to Mountain. Is Allen. that
4: material like a rod? Would I think of it like a rod. Yeah, so it's other? actually
6: little pellets, well, pellets that are right. then assembled into what they call fuel rods. And then those are put together into fuel assemblies. Wow. And we would take each individual assembly and put it in the canister and then slide it down the hole.
4: So genius. What? Are you the first person to think about this idea? Amazingly, yes. Oh, my Lord. Did you have a – were you in the fracking business or in the the drilling business? We had a startup company,
6: a failed startup company in the drilling business previously. Amazing.
4: So just like when I talk to other failed startups, I say always keep your eyes wide open for another opportunity to use the work product to maybe Mm -hmm. come up with something. So here we are. um, And your biggest challenge is managing investors and strategic partners, I understand, so you have strategic partners who want to buy the company or control the company or have controlling interest in it, and then you have to then figure out having investors, correct?
6: So we're looking for the right balance between those strategics and the VCs.
4: Okay. So um, if there's a really big opportunity, VCs, the best ones, do not want the strategics anywhere near it because they want to slurp up all that equity for themselves at the best price. Strategics, when they invest, and a strategic in this context might be the uh, Somebody who makes nuclear reactors. It might be somebody... might be the government. could be any number of people um, who want to own equity in it who are already in the space. It could be the people who make the drilling bits or the drilling technology, I suspect, would like to have a piece of this. Um, now, you can extract something from those people. So let's just say it's the drilling company. Well, the drilling company is a potential competitor. I mean, it'd be hard for them to do and they've got other things on their plate, but... Um, The best practice would be, if they do participate, they agreed not to compete over some period of time, if that's an important thing to extract. And then the other thing to do is, um, they would have a small amount of money and only have light or predefined information rights as to what's going on. So they're not in the board meeting where they would hear you evaluating, replacing their technology with another one. So if they make some drilling technology and their competitor comes out with a better one, that's one-tenth of the price, you're not stuck to using theirs. So the commercial agreement might be we'll use yours for the first two years. You'll give it to us at a 20% discount, but we're free to use whatever technology we want uh, and pilot whatever we want, but we're going to buy this much from you in the first two years. So you just have to make sure you clearly define it and understand their motivation. Sometimes the motivation is they're a fabulously wealthy company and they just like to get information from the market to make big strategic decisions. So Google has a venture arm called GV Ventures. Uh, and um, they're a great venture capital firm that invests in a lot of companies, and the people at Google don't know what they're investing in until after they've invested in it. They don't have any say in it. They have complete autonomy. However... If they have 10% ownership in a company and that company is going to sell, obviously they have to sign off on it um, or at least they have to know about it. They may not have the ability to block it, but they'll know about it, which might be an early warning system for them to make an offer to the company. So you have to understand that motivation. Some people do it explicitly because they want you to use their product. Um, all things being equal, if there's no strategic advantage to having them on your cap table, go with the pure venture capitalists. If there's a strategic advantage, You want to be able to call them on the phone, you want the CEO of that company and the board of that company to know who you are because you need for when you're using their drill bits, you need their engineer's attention to come and be on site and it's a requirement, then sure, have them on the cap table, but keep it small and contain them, firewall them from having access to information or the ability to deal with any big corporate governance issues like selling the company or raising more money or working with competitors Um, And advice on managing rapid growth was another one of your questions. Um, High class problem. You know, it's a high class problem. Hire the best people you can find and maybe have extra capacity. So if you're in that high class problem of rapid growth, um, you're going to just want to have extra capacity. So in my companies, I try to understand what's the most important area and then overstaff it by 20, 30, or 40%. When things are going really well, and then having a little bit of breathing room for the executives, and then having them do special projects like looking towards the future or learning each other's skill sets so they can advance their skill set. And then, if one of them were to leave, the other two people know how to do the job. So, I, I did that actually at one of my companies. I had um, four people each learn how to do the other one's job. So, each of the four people could do all four jobs their own and the other three. And what that does is if somebody leaves or two people leave, or even if three people leave, you as a CEO plus at least one or two of those people can still handle and maintain the reactor. You know, like we can keep the reactor running. Um, so I love your business. Where are you based? Berkeley. Oh, Wow. Um, and uh, what's the state of the company? Is it just an idea phase, or you've raised money, or where are you at?
6: So we've raised 14 million. Oh, wow. Um, we did a demonstration in January, and mm. um, you know, the government sales cycle is long and slow.
4: And nuclear, is um, but glacial. we are
6: in procurement um, wow. with more than one, and we will be announcing first sales
4: soon amazing and are you a nuclear physicist or something or you're just a... my co-founder is got it got it elizabeth it's amazing um and when you start actually doing this work i think it'd be a great time to come on the podcast and maybe share it with the world okay big round of applause for elizabeth well done hiring the right person takes a ton of time you know this and what do we lack as founders free time we don't have any free time Urgency can be your enemy when it comes to finding the best candidates. You might make a mistake, and you might just hire somebody to fill a seat, and that's always a mistake. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to go find that talent, because everybody is on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills you are looking for. So you're not going to rush and make a mistake, but you're going to be able to hire a person quickly and efficiently. Over 600 million people are members of LinkedIn. You know this because if you're hearing my voice, you have a LinkedIn profile and you've been on LinkedIn probably in the last hour or maybe day, just like the rest of us. And a hire is made every eight seconds on LinkedIn. That is crazy. And at launch, we are proof positive. We got Sir Charles, our director here at the studio, and Marine, our marketing manager, both through linkedin talent solutions and here's a video of my associate Press putting up a job posting for our client success manager and our podcast is growing so much that he's looking for somebody with a specific set of skills he writes that description he adds some screening questions and he sets a daily budget bing bang boom we're all set we're going to start getting great candidates just that simply and here is your call to action this is unbelievable you can get 50 bucks a 50 50 by visiting linkedin.com slash twist to get $50 off your first job posting linkedin.com it's already in your browser's history slash twist that's all i need you to do linkedin.com slash twist to get that $50 off your first job posting terms and conditions apply of course because it's are giving you 50 bucks all right let's get back to this amazing episode okay welcome back to office hours my next guest is john circles s-i-r-c-l-e-s which is a social recommendation app focused on positivity. And the biggest challenge is finding the right investment partners breaking into Silicon Valley out of Sacramento. Um, Well, Sacramento is becoming quite a hub of startups. We've had two or three investments there and it's the number one city that people from San Francisco report, people leaving the Bay Area report that they're moving to. So that's pretty amazing. And over 50% of people surveyed in San Francisco said they plan on leaving in the next five to 10 years, and that's the number one destination. So you couldn't be closer to the Silicon Valley scene. Let's talk about um, your social recommendations app. This is something that's been tried many times, socially recommending stuff, and it happens all the time on Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. People are That's like the number one thing to do is... To uh, flex and be like, yo, check out my, loving the new iPhone, you know, loving my new Tesla. Um, So, why does the world need a social recommendations app? What is Instagram or Twitter not doing that
3: you're doing? Well, that's very limited. Let's start there. But I'm going to give you a little background on Circles and what Circles is. Thank you for having me, by the way. Uh, Circles is an app, as you mentioned, it's essentially Yelp meets Facebook for recommendations. And What we do is we strip out the negativity, as you mentioned. So there's nothing negative in the app. It's just recommendations. If I were to talk to my friend and say, hey, I need a recommendation, I don't say, please tell me five places you hate. That's silly, right? Likewise, if he needed a recommendation, let's say, take his car in somewhere. Um, I got a good car guy. He's like, great, but is it four stars or four and a half stars? No, so we tr- we trust recommendations. There's a lot more value than that than reading reviews. And since there's no reviews, there's nothing negative. <clears throat> so this all this all started a couple years ago. I'm here. So you want to take Yelp. on Yelp? Absolutely, Yelp. And I'm going to get into a, it's a bigger um, yeah. We we actually. So your
4: concept is people going to Yelp who mm-hmm. are looking for a restaurant mm-hmm. are being done a disservice by giving being given negative reviews in addition to positive ones?
3: Well, there are two problems. The consumer is facing a problem because the reviews can be unreliable and untrustworthy. Okay,
4: that is a different problem than positive versus negative. Correct, correct,
3: correct. And then the businesses have a problem. We're we're a small business. I'm here with my my partner. We founded an IT company in Sacramento a decade ago. Very successful. We have multiple locations up and down the West Coast. We take our reputation very seriously as any small business does. It is not fair how Yelp is treating small businesses and what they do, right? So we, we have, let me give you an example. Hold on a second. Yeah. Um,
4: we all know, we're aware of that issue. Mm-hmm. So the concept is Yelp, their business practices towards small businesses is unfair. Extreme. Everybody knows that. There was a South Park episode I think right. made about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is no need to convince anybody that sure. small business owners, in some cases, don't like how Yelp treats them. Um, and we'd all agree that Yelp isn't perfect at giving recommendations, but it is one of the best ways to find places in a new city where you are, or even your own city. It can be helpful. Sure. But it yeah, also can great. be,
3: it can be difficult. You might read three great reviews for a restaurant and you yeah. might get to the fourth one and it's horrible and you're like, okay, do right, I, am so I going here? Like However, it could
4: be improved incrementally. Sure. sure but sure. I don't, does anybody here, has anybody here used Yelp in the last 30 days? Raise your hand. Okay, that was two thirds of the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, did, has any does anybody has anybody deleted Yelp off their phone out of complete frustration with the product? One, two, three, four, five, six. Wow, seven maybe. So that's interesting. There is a level of frustration with Yelp, then, that I was not aware it's, of.
3: It's deep. It is okay. deep. And it's not just the businesses, as I mentioned. No, these are consumers. Yeah, these are consumers. I'm Absolutely, are, yeah. Yeah. Let me
4: just ask the question one more time so I'm sure. Um, raise your hand high if you've deleted Yelp because you're frustrated as a consumer, not as a business. Okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Eleven. Wow, that is incredible. People are deleting Yelp. Yelp
3: is universally loathed. Okay. I don't I I love Yelp. I don't I don't loathe it. I love it. And it's not just Yelp that we're going up against. So you're you're gonna gonna like this part because we're we're actually we're kind of building in a social element because circles is about your circle, your social community. Yeah. We're going up against Facebook too. So you might, you know, we uh, yeah, also hated, but everybody, we love Jason's one. book, by the way. Thank um, you. Brilliant author. I recommend to anybody that's a, right, not let's just an Phil angel. Just here on you. Yeah. Okay. But um, the point guy. being, yeah. we might be called delusional in some cases, but I'll tell you what, the timing is right now okay. to bring something positive. There's a difference between what we're doing and what they've been doing. At the core of what we do, it's all positive. So there's no way they can copy that or take that or steal that from us. All right,
4: that's fine. But let me just understand the product. Mm -hmm. I go on the product. I went to this specific uh, cafe. Mm -hmm. And the person was incredibly rude, got my order wrong, and told me to F off. I go into the program. I write that. You delete that review.
3: No, 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 nothing like that. Let
4: me let me tell you a little bit about the app. Okay, so no, I don't. You, I don't <laughs> want you to tell me about okay. the the industry and educate me on in the industry. Because no, no, I the know app. The yeah. App. So yes. I I if I load the app and I write a recommendation, there are no, there are
3: no reviews. No, absolutely no, no reviews. So, no, no. You favorite. You have favorite restaurants. You have favorite movies. You have favorite your dentist. Got it. Whatever. Okay. So I okay. only
4: can write in my favorites.
3: You don't need to write in anything. You favorite it. You walk around town. Got the it. location tracks you. He says, "Would you like to add okay, this restaurant?" It. Yes, I love this restaurant. By favoriting it, you are now instantly recommending it to everybody you know, everyone who follows you. It's that simple. Got it. Okay, so you don't. There's not, no reason so to be it's negative. It's
4: favorite or nothing.
3: Correct. No in, reviews out. That's it. Right. Correct.
4: So yeah. either I endorse this or I don't. Do can yes. I endorse things on different levels? Like this is.
3: You now here's the thing. If you ask me, hey, do you have a favorite movie? Do you have a favorite dentist or whatever? You know, I don't need to tell you about. Well, there's this one. that's an A. Is there and a, this a limit a to B. how many I can
4: pick? Can no, I pick absolutely one? not. No, I have okay.
3: hundreds in there already. So. No, and, um, and it follows you around. So it does two things. You get to store your favorites. You travel, I'm sure, a lot. Got I do it. too. So it's
4: like my bookmarks.
3: Exactly, exactly. So you're storing it for yourself to recall later. You can map it later, whatever. But you're also storing it for your friends and followers to see it instantly.
4: And it explicitly says, this is my favorite.
3: Correct. It's, a, yeah, it's your favorite. It's your recommendation, yeah. You right. can save things for later. If I share 10 restaurants with you, you might want to save 10 okay, of them so and check them out later. So there's two
4: functionalities. Yes. And the language is, this is my favorite blank. Right. Or I can bookmark it privately, but if I say it's my Correct. favorite, it's public. Exactly. That's Got exactly it. right. So it is a culmination of all my favorites. And if I were to put too many in, people might ignore that I'm putting no, them
3: in. No, no. Now here's the beauty of what we did. Circles is not just what everyone else did with a list view. It's very innovative. It's very simple to use. It's based on actual circles. There's a wheel with categories so you can go, let's say i'm looking for a restaurant i go to the restaurant category you can have as many restaurants as you want they're broken down and the different types you got italian food you got asian food etc so you can have and it's all mapped out too so you have a map with pin drops on it right, so you can it. easily um, see yeah
4: so if i go to italian restaurants mm-hmm. it ranks them by the number of people who've said it's their favorite
3: no no it's going to show you your friends favorites
4: ah so will it show me three of my friends like this one absolutely exactly, it. Okay. That's exactly so it's right. a, yeah. So yeah. in order for me to get value, my friends have to be in my circle. It's I knew you' No
3: well no, because you can put the filter to most popular. You can even put a filter to daily deals, so you're, our, there's a subscription okay. model with But the default yeah.
4: the default is I have to uh, have my friend circle, but I can change it so maybe when I first sign up, I don't have my friends and it shows me everything or yeah, yeah.
3: oh yeah you can use it in single player mode and yeah. get value immediately. yeah Got there's it. a community: okay. right.
4: What's the biggest challenge then?
3: Well, the biggest challenge is, you know, we could be accused of being delusional, you know, as you mentioned in your book, is yeah. taking on Yelp and Facebook. We we raised $500,000 in two weeks. In, from who? In Sacramento. From, we have huge community support in Sacramento. And I know we're yeah, right next to the door. My question was from who?
4: Angels, the VC firm? Angels, C- yeah, Angels. Okay.
3: Small bites, 5,000, 10,000, 25,000.
4: Got it, wow. Right.
3: And so. That wasn't
4: easy. So you have 100 unique investors? No, 30. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, it, and it's
3: been great, and we have huge community support. But obviously, we want to go to the next level. Sacramento, understandably, people are How conservative. How do you make money? We have a subscription model. The businesses pay twenty bucks a month. Very simple to sign up. We give them unlock features for them. They can.
4: What's the number one feature that you sell to them that where the where that they report they use the most? The best
3: or- one. We're we're in, still in beta, but the best one by far is the ability for them to create coupons that show up on the daily. Best
4: thing is they can do deals. Yeah, yeah. Um, but full management of the
3: page, the opposite of Yelp. You call Yelp and you say, this is a fake review, they say sorry.
4: I have a better idea for you. Sure. If you're open to it. Yeah. So the deals is one, but I think an even better one, since you've decided to do positivity, mm-hmm. um, I'm warming up to your idea, by the way. Yeah. I was poking a little know, bit to try to <laughs> see if I could knock you I, off I your thing. I appreciate it. So just so you know, sometimes <laughs> an investor like pokes a little bit just to see if I can knock you off Your position, if I can knock you off your position, you're not so sure about it. You've just eliminated yourself. Sure, absolutely. But you wouldn't back down despite (laughs) me being like, well, no, people love (laughs) Yelp. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so now you've got only favorites in there. Now you can go to the businesses and say, listen, we're the anti-Yelp. We just have people who love your restaurant. Mm -hmm. And when they say they love your restaurant, if you're a premium account, we give them a separate screen that says, meet the owner. Jason owns, or Sonny owns the Red Rooster. Okay. Would you like to join Sunny's mailing list and add Sunny to your circle?
3: I like that, I like that.
4: And they can click to add Sunny to their circle, mm-hmm. and now they know the owner of the Red Rooster. Right, right. Or would you, or you could follow them, whatever. Or would you like to join their mailing list? And when they join that, you give their, e- and it says, it puts, pre-populates their email. Or would you like to receive updates by SMS, because you have their phone number as well. Would you like to do SMS mm-hmm. and then you and tell that's them a, that's a great it's way. a dollar per email or SMS that we give you, uh-huh. or you pay $25 a month and unlimited
3: I like it because they want to
4: build yeah. their mailing list. They want to give offers. Mm-hmm. So putting an offer in your app is like level one, mm-hmm. but level two would be I go, they go into the app and they say, send an offer to people who favorited your restaurant. Yes. You got 300 right. people favorited your restaurant. You know that your slowest days are Monday and Tuesday. And you say, since you favorited our restaurant, we wanted to let you know, Monday and Tuesday, we do favorite, you know, uh, we do a private menu. It's our secret menu mm-hmm. and we'll give you the pre-fee mm-hmm. for $50 and it's a hundred dollar value. Um, it. Yeah. and you SMS that to people or something. So like even taking it a step further, I love yeah. the idea.
3: Yeah. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that dovetails nicely into another feature we want to do because people do want to be able to yeah. say something if they had a negative experience, yeah. but they should be able to go through the back door and so have that access yeah, to the yeah. owner, like you mentioned,
4: um, if you had to rate the design of your product yes user interface and design gorgeousness Mm -hmm. on a scale of one to ten you can use half points but you can't (laughs) use the number eight
3: okay all right okay all right well let me let me say also our prototype that we did a couple years ago was about a two was about a two now i'm going to say we are almost to a ten
4: okay so if you're a ten have you been featured by apple yet
3: We are still in the beta. Oh, okay. We just launched our beta. I mean, that's pretty.
4: um, So, anyway, um, I would like you to invite me to the beta. Absolutely. I'm intrigued. Yes. Um, And I think, again, back to investors are willing to uh, be corrected. The reason I was pushing you on that is because I want you to push back. I want to see if you're going to push back, and I want to see if you can change my mind based on my perception and when i did my call and response here how many people use yelp in the 30 days and two thirds i was like well i know everything and then i was like and how many people i was like what's another way to phrase that what would be like if you really hated something you would delete it so how many people deleted it is like the biggest of hate and i thought one or two people i didn't think 10 out of 40 would say they deleted it that's a pretty acute problem for yelp and and an opportunity for you And, and
3: get out of the bay area and the number gets higher
4: So here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite Jason at calicanus.com to circles with an S. Mm -hmm. Circles. Yes. Really don't like the name. I love it, the name. Come Uh, on. We're going to (laughs) have to work on that. Uh, I would just call it circles and then do get circles or go circles. It is just circles. But it's spelled with an S. Yes. Yes. I think it's a horrible. Well, we
3: got got circles.com. There's a whole thing behind it, you know.
4: Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'll. I just have a thing about like spelling things wrong, but okay. like, like neighborly. Yeah, it makes me crazy. <laughs> no, trust me. This conversation we've had, um, but okay. Uh, I would have just called it neighborly and had go neighborly or get neighborly. Like this right, idea right. of miss because people will no, search I, 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 I in the app store like one word name. Neighborly. Yeah, okay. up. Let's okay hear soon. it for John. Well done. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. John. If others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn
7: for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours, the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X Studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe, and for the next hour, we'll be talking project management and mindfulness, a topic that we really haven't explored too much on the show, so I'm really excited to hear about that. I think today is also National Radio Day. So for all of you radio broadcasters out there, uh, congratulations and uh, have a great day. I also want to mention a few things that I have upcoming. On August 25th, I'll be doing a live webinar on projectmanagement.com. We'll be talking about uh, empowering people to deliver results. Uh, Top of mind for me this year to discuss with everyone. So you can catch that at 11 a.m. Eastern While you're on that site, check out my purpose-driven PMO webinar from last year. That's got over 7,000 views now and uh, has been pretty well received. Also coming up, September 10th, ASU, Arizona State University, is having their first annual project management summit. That's from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. here in Arizona. Uh, Go out to uh, the PMO Squad website in the community section. You'll see a place to go register for that. And then September 14th through the 26th is the PMO Impact Summit, hosted by former guest Laura Bernard. Registration is free for that, and there's over 80 leaders from around the world. So that is a can't-miss opportunity. Head over to PMOImpactSummit.com and register for that. Of course, want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad, home of the purpose-driven PMO. Visit ThePMOSquad.com and learn how they can support your project management team and help you get your PMO on the right track. Super excited today to have our guest, John McCaskill, join us. Thanks for joining us, John. If you could take a moment, please uh, share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Sure, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me. First of all, uh, I
8: appreciate it. And uh, like I was mentioning just before the show, hopefully the background noise is, is not too bad because I am literally pulled off of the side of the road in Laramie, Wyoming, in my RV. Uh, my family and I are are traveling the country right now as I just retired from the Navy at the beginning of this month. Uh, I've been in the Navy since uh, 1996, and 17 of those years, I, I served as a, as a Navy SEAL. I uh, just retired, like I mentioned, as a, as a Navy SEAL commander, and now I am uh, working with a nonprofit called Veterans Path, teaching mindfulness and meditation to veterans and, uh, and I've also got a, a side gig that I think we'll discuss. Uh, it's called Scrum on the Go. It's just a, a little project management um, tool that I've helped to create with some friends, John Davis, Beth Davis, and Saul Gomez, all of whom are Scrum and project management folks. So that's a little bit about me, uh, my family. We've got a little three-year-old girl and a one-year-old little boy they are actually in a different vehicle, luckily, right now. And uh, and then I've got my dog sitting right here. But for those uh, who are not watching and just listening, both Joe and I have uh, red polo shirts on, so it's like we coordinated this. <laughs> yes, it's, it's
7: red shirt day. Well, yeah. th- thanks for joining us, John. And obviously, thank you for your service as well. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you. As uh, hopefully, you know, and our listeners know, uh, we're proud supporters of veterans and, and organizations here. And our uh, nonprofit organization VPMMA helping those service members and military spouses transition into civilian project management career. So, if nice. anybody yes. is interested in that, you can check out VPMMA dot org, and uh, we'd love your support. So, um, let's jump into what you talked about. You're on the road. What's so? What's life like post-retirement? <laughs> You're you're in an RV, you're traveling around. I mean, is this what, uh, yeah. all retired Navy SEAL commanders do? <laughs> <laughs> no, no.
8: Uh, this is uh, definitely, uh, not what everyone does. It's a rarity. I, I do have a few friends who are doing it simultaneously funny enough, but we're not all retired. Some guys, uh, are just doing it in their spare time. Um, and others are, are doing it as they're retired. But, but, uh, yeah, so my wife and I, have been planning this for a couple of years now. And the plan uh, was, and the reason I say plan like that, you'll hear it <laughs> here in a second, but the plan as all project management professionals understand, it never goes as it was planned. Um, so we, we planned to do it for six to 12 months on the road and uh, seeing all parts of the country. And we've been on the road since the beginning of July. We've been living in the RV since the beginning of May And obviously, COVID has thrown a kink in all sorts of plans, countrywide, worldwide. Well, this is not an exception. It's thrown a kink in this plan. And uh, some of the places that we wanted to go see were closed down. Uh, Some of the places we wanted to drive through, were uh, we weren't allowed to drive through. Um, And then my wife and I thought, well, if one of us were to get COVID right now, then we would have to kind of. Self quarantine somewhere in the RV. Yeah, good luck with <laughs> and, that. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, exactly. And then the other one would be responsible for taking care of the kids and and the one that was down. So we've decided to head back to Colorado. That's where I'm heading back to right now, uh, through Wyoming, and call Colorado Springs home for a while. And then hopefully the COVID pandemic will calm down in the coming months or coming years. And we'll just reset and do this, uh, try to do this again in the, in the future. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's been an experience uh, living in a 31-foot um, Class C motorhome with a three-year-old, the one-year-old, my wife, and then this dog that's over here being very rambunctious right now. <laughs> it requires a lot of mindfulness. I will tell you that. Yeah.
7: <laughs> you know, so I, I it's, would uh, imagine it's feel that I have that tool. I would imagine lots of, uh, good stories from the road and, and your wife, uh, also served, I think in the Navy, correct?
8: She did. And, she did. Uh, we, as, uh, she was, she is an orthopedic physician assistant, uh, and did that in the Navy. And we actually met at SEAL team 10, um, where, <laughs> uh, now that I'm out of the Navy, I can say this, but she worked for me. Uh, and then we <laughs> had, uh, we had a, an Afghanistan romance, if you will. Oh boy! <laughs>
7: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I and uh, you had posted on social media maybe a couple of weeks back it was uh, that her medical training came into play right on the road. What what happened it sure there? Sure did,
8: sure did. Uh, we were in Telluride, and my one year old little boy was uh, choking on some apples and little bites of apples, and it wasn't choking to where you could hear him choking. It was choking where there was nothing coming out, so it was a dangerous situation. And luckily my wife, uh, she's a superstar superwoman, uh, responded instantly, picked him up, put him on her arm and started giving him the baby Heimlich or infant Heimlich maneuver. And he spit up and he was fine, but she, she acted like it was nothing. And I swear it, it was a superwoman in action right before my eyes. And she saved my little boy, uh, because, um, I had learned that many years ago, the baby, the infant Heimlich maneuver in my CPR classes, but it's been a long time since I've seen it and practicing it on one of the dolls versus doing it in real life to my own son. I didn't respond as, as well or as quickly as she did. So I was very thankful for, uh, for her being there. Uh, so yeah, she's, uh, well trained in the, in the medical field and, uh, and just an amazing mom and, uh, just person in general, so I I am blessed.
7: To, yeah. uh, to have her. Well, it's amazing how instincts take over, right? And uh, yeah, obviously through your train. That's why you guys train the way you do, right? So that when you're confronted with a situation, you don't think about it; you just instinctively do it. And uh, right, obviously, right. fantastic for your uh, wife to step up and uh, take care of the family like that. Indeed, indeed, yeah. So you've mentioned mindfulness. You know, I'm going to be the ignorant one here. I hear the word frequently. I probably get it, but I I don't really know what it means, right? Can you explain it to me better sure. so I try to understand this?
8: Yeah, yeah. There's there's formal definitions, um, and I hope this sound in the background is not too distracting uh, as I'm sil- on no, the side of the road. But we don't even hear um, it. Good, good. There's formal definitions for mindfulness. Uh, really, it's being present in the here and now, not worrying about the past or being too concerned about the future. Being present in the here and now without any judgment. That's one of the kind of formal definitions. But really the way that I like to put it is just situational awareness. I mean, that's what we practice in the SEAL teams. You're aware of the situation. Uh, You're aware of the here and now, the present moment. And that's that's kind of a a layman's term or layman's definition, rather, of the term mindfulness. It's definitely getting more use these days probably overused Um, a lot of people use mindfulness and meditation synonymously and they are not necessarily the same there is overlap between the two um, but they aren't aren't the same and i you know i can get into that further in the conversation but there is great benefit in practicing both of them uh, both physically and mentally and and quite honestly spiritually i think there's great practice or benefit in practicing the, the two of them so I'll, I'll tell you real quick, Joe, how I got into it, and then we can get into some further questions. But yeah. in the in the SEAL teams, the first deployment that I went on, we had a pretty bad run of it, and the book Loan Survivor was actually the the first deployment that I was on. So lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell, we ended up having uh, three of the guys uh, that we inserted on a, um, a special reconnaissance mission killed in a firefight. And then the quick reaction force that came in for that crew uh, was shot down in a helicopter for a total loss of, of 19 people, um, 11 Navy SEALs and, and eight Army Night Stalkers. Uh, so shout out to the Army. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Army and the Navy and all, all services. But um, you know, those, those were the two services specifically in that operation where we had loss of life. And I was, uh, I was friends with all those guys. I knew some of their families and there was a, a chance that I was supposed to be on that operation. And I was pulled off uh, kind of towards the end there because I lost those friends and there was my survival. I ended up really questioning why I was still alive. Why me? Why not being still alive? Or why did they die and not me? So I battled with survivor guilt through my time in the Navy, uh, after that operation for quite some time. And that caused depression and caused anxiety and stress. And I had, uh, the Navy give me different medications to deal with that. I had them give me different types of talk counseling to help with that. And they both helped the medication and the talk counseling helped to a point. The medication, however, kind of made me feel a little bit numb. And the talk counseling, I wasn't able to truly address the root issues, the root causes of what I was dealing with, because I wasn't truly in touch with what I was experiencing. And finally, I got—I had a counselor recommend mindfulness and meditation to me. And uh, I tried it out. And in all honesty, I tried it out for the first two weeks and went back to them after that two weeks and told him, Hey, look, this is not working for me. What else do you have? And, uh, and then he kind of laughed at me and said, Hey, look, that's like going to the gym and expecting that you're going to come back looking like a bodybuilder after two weeks yeah. and it doesn't work that fast. Right. You do get some immediate results, but the long-term results, uh, don't, don't show up for a while. So I was practiced for two months and then I started to see the results. And the, the biggest thing was, I started to realize what it was that was causing me the anxiety, what it was that was causing me the stress and depression. And then I could take that and speak very frankly to the counselors that I was seeing. So it was kind of the meditation and the counseling going hand in hand. And I want to make sure everybody heard that correctly, because quite often people hear medication. It was a meditation with a T, not medication with a C uh, that, that helped me out. Uh, more than anything, and it was about the same time that I was starting to think about retirement. That this was going on, and I had a mentor of mine mention to me that I need to figure out what I was going to do after I retire. And I started to look at um, some of the bright and shiny objects that are out there for military officers as they retire, and none of the none of the professions really jumped out at me as something that I was passionate about. I, I like project management. I am not a PMP. I will be completely upfront about that. But I, I like thinking about projects, what goes into getting it, it from the start to actually getting something built or done or accomplished. Um, so that was something that appealed to me. And then and then uh, I wanted to carry this project, or uh, sorry, I wanted to carry this mindfulness forward as well and, and pay it forward to other veterans. So I was thinking, well, I'm going to combine my project management and my mindfulness, and I'm going to create a nonprofit that teaches this. Well, luckily, I didn't have to create it from scratch because Veterans Path, the nonprofit that uh, I work for now, existed, and they brought me on as their deputy executive director. They actually brought me on through uh, the SkillBridge program that we were talking about before the show, um, prior to my retirement. So uh, I've had several months of, of experience Prior to getting out of the Navy, and now day one of getting out, I had a job so that's been been very nice uh, to to know that with a with the family I was going to be able to continue to take care of them financially right after getting out
7: that's fantastic and, and and thanks obviously for the backstory on that because when we when I first started following you on LinkedIn and seeing your posts i I kept thinking to myself, how does a navy seal? and mindfulness come together, right? Because there's this image we have, uh, out in the civilian workforce, right? You, you guys are the best of the best. You're these, you're everything that's on the movies, right? It's, you're <laughs> not real because nobody knows you guys Where you know, you're, you're these people we never see here or whatever. <laughs> and then we, right. we see movies, right? The Lone Survivor and, and Chris Kyle story and all those sorts of things. Right, right. So you guys are these just heroes in our eyes. So why would someone like you need mindfulness? And then as you describe it, it's so obvious why you would need mindfulness right, and how right. that could benefit. And then it makes me think of me or you, we're just dads, right? And, and at times we're thinking we're supposed to be stoic and uh, commanders of our family and leaders. And boy, we could all use mindfulness in our own lives, just being men, right? And just being I, I, part yeah. of a, a dad in our family.
8: Yeah, absolutely. I actually had a discussion with a, a gentleman yesterday about what Veterans Path, our nonprofit, does uh, for, for men specifically. Um, we do, we do uh, retreats and we do mindfulness and veteran training for both men and women. But uh, this one gentleman asked me what, what we do for men specifically. And he, and he said, I think it's redefining what is masculine. And I, I think there is there's some truth to that, but I also I, I flipped it on him. I said, well, I don't wanna I don't want to redefine what is masculine because there are certain things that are going to forever be masculine. And I think what we are doing is rather opening up mindfulness and meditation to those who are masculine. We aren't redefining masculinity. Right. So yeah, as as a as a mindfulness practitioner, as a mindfulness teacher. A lot of the time, the stereotype or the image that pops into somebody's head is kind of a hippie or a monk, and uh, you know we don't have anything against right. either one of those. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I, I'm friends with hippies and monks, and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of both of them. But I don't fit that stereotype, and I'm I am neither one of them. And I want to bring meditation and mindfulness to a population that normally wouldn't be open to it. And I know that with my background, I can do that. So it it definitely, it lends to, uh, to credibility amongst a more machismo crew, if, uh, if you will, um, when, when I tell them my backstory and then, then I tell them, and now I'm a mindfulness teacher. So yeah, it's, I, I, I'm totally tracking with you about the, uh, the different views of, of Navy Seals, and I'm not taking the traditional track for sure. But there, funny enough, there are several. Uh, Mark Divine is another SEAL who practices mindfulness and meditation, and he's got his own books written about it. So I'm I am certainly not the first, and I'm sure, uh, or I rather hope that I will not be the last.
7: Well, I'm sure you're not because you're carrying on that message so well. But with Veterans Path, your podcast, uh, your social media activity, and and just your life practice, right? So I I doubt you'll be last, and, and you're creating a great example for for others to follow in your footsteps. Um, Thank you. One thing you had also mentioned was the difference between mindfulness and meditation. What what yes. is that difference, right? What is uh, you know? Yeah. How do you describe that for us uh, laymen folks out here? Sure.
8: The so the way I try to describe it is um, if you know what a Venn diagram is, mm-hmm. you know, I've got. You know, two circles, three circles, and you kind of overlap. Well, this one, this Venn diagram, if you can imagine in your mind mindfulness being in one and meditation being another, and there being a little bit of overlap between the two of them. Meditation is where you're very intentional about setting aside some time to practice some form of meditation, whether it is mindfulness meditation or whether it's transcendental meditation, whether it's yoga nidra. There's there's many different types of meditation. I specifically focus on mindful mindfulness meditation, and that's kind of the overlap. So I defined mindfulness earlier in the show. Now I've defined meditation where you specifically set aside some time to do that. The overlap between the two, that's mindfulness meditation. That's where you set aside some time very specifically to be mindful about what it is you're doing, about your experience, about your life. Um, so you may set aside two minutes. You may set aside. 30 minutes to focus on your breath focus on physical sensations that you're experiencing in the here and now it might be sounds it might be smells maybe taste you can even meditate with your eyes open and take in the the sights that you're seeing that that is meditation um (laughs) sorry my dog off to the side is really putting on a show you can't see it but she's putting on a heck of a show for me she's being Um, quiet that's great yeah, she's, she's a quiet dog. She's just full of energy. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm trying to be mindful about being focused on the show. So that's, uh, that's the overlap between the two. Going back to mindfulness, I mentioned it's being present in the here and now and focusing on the here and now and not so much about the past or about the future. Um, you can be mindful in just about anything you do. I'm trying to be mindful in being here with you on the show right now, focusing on what on the questions that you're asking me, focusing on what I'm talking about. Um, when you're talking to me, I'm not trying to formulate a response in my mind. I'm just listening to what it is you're asking. That's being mindful. You can eat mindfully. Whereas most of us every day, when we're rushing from one meeting to the next, we scarf down a cheeseburger in between meetings and if somebody asks us at the end of the day, what did you eat for lunch? Most of us have trouble even remembering that we stopped for lunch. Mm-hmm. If we did stop. And then if you try to think about what you had, most of us can't even remember because we're so fast paced. Our life has become so fast paced that we're not being mindful about the things we're doing. And it extends about not being mindful in eating, you're not mindful in your relationships. You're not mindful in your conversations. A lot of the time, somebody will be talking to you, and you're thinking about what's for dinner. You're thinking about your to-do list. You're thinking about COVID nineteen and how it's affecting the country and finances and health and safety. You know, the the list is endless about what else is on our minds. But rarely are you a hundred percent devoted to the conversation that you're having because we don't know how to we don't know how to be mindful. That's the difference between mindfulness and meditation. They do go hand in hand, but they aren't synonymous. So when somebody says, are you practicing mindfulness? They don't mean, are you sitting down to meditate? Um, and then when they say, are you practicing meditation? They don't necessarily mean, are you practicing mindfulness? So they're, they're similar, but they're not one and the same.
7: Yeah. And I, I, as you're speaking, right, I'm thinking, man, my good thing, my wife, Alyssa's not listening to the show today. Uh, she'd be like, "See, <laughs> uh, somebody else is telling you the same thing, right?" I mean, we could be, you know, sitting in the the living room, and uh, I'm on my phone, I'm playing a game or something, and we're having a conversation, or at least she's having a conversation, and I'm not practicing mindfulness, right? I'm responding to her questions, but if you asked me two minutes later what we talked about, I have no idea, right? Because right. I'm distracted and and really not being mindful. Um, so uh, we may not put this one. This podcast out for production because uh, <laughs> Alyssa is going to let me have it. Uh, but boy, it's so spot on, right? It, it, we we deal with this every day, and of course, this is a project management radio show, and I uh, we do the same thing running projects, right? We get so right. caught up in the noise of the project that so often we aren't mindful of the actual situations in front of us, right? Right, um, right. And I think there's Absolutely. a lot to be learned from what you're talking here and how we can benefit. And that's why I wanted you to come on as well, because it's project management, as we find, is more people skills than it is the technical skills of executing the project. And the better we can get at the people side of it, the easier the technical will be. Um, so having uh, having you on to share this has been really beneficial. Um, yeah,
8: well, I, I, I definitely think that the, the two though they don't sound like they go hand in hand, being mindful as a project manager, I think does. I've actually, when I was living in Virginia and I was still on active duty, I went and spoke to the local PMI chapter uh, because I do believe, again, though they seem not related, they are. That You have to be mindful and pay attention to what is happening in every step of the project that you're, that you're trying to work through so that you can ultimately get to the end goal without getting distracted, uh, without getting anxious, without getting worried. You can still get through that project. and I think that's critical.
7: Absolutely. And, and you know, there's other Simon Sinek, right? He he uh, yeah. kind of hit it big because uh, a recording of a talk he did at a PMI chapter, or a Puget Sound PMI chapter, went viral, right? I mean, it was the start of... Yeah,
8: start with why. Yeah. Uh,
7: So, hey, you never know what happens when you do those PMI chats, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So you've mentioned Veterans Path. Tell us more about that organization and um, why it's so important and, and what they're doing to help veterans. Sure.
8: So Veterans Path was actually founded in 2008 by two women Lee Lester and Chris Fortin out in Berkeley, California. And it was originally called Honoring the Path of the Warrior uh, and then got rebranded as Veterans Path later. But Lee and Chris, they were anti-war. At one point, Lee actually marched against the Vietnam War. Many years later, uh, when guys and gals were going to Um, iraq and afghanistan they were coming back with post-traumatic stress they were coming back with military sexual trauma effects they were coming back with some some loads that they were carrying lee and chris realized that being anti-war doesn't necessarily mean being anti-military and they realized that they could help veterans in dealing with these demons that they were uh, having Uh, so they started small they started teaching mindfulness meditation to small retreats and that slowly grew into a a bigger thing where they were doing week-long retreats and eventually they started doing month-long or several month-long retreats um, where you come in do a do a week um, in person then you are online for a few months and then you come back for another uh, check-in at the end And people that were going through these programs were having profound effects. They were really starting to go from being depressed or almost stressed to the point of debilitation to being really high-performing individuals, really much happier, finding a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's actually where the word path in Veterans Path comes from, peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's what veterans were able to find through mindfulness and meditation. And what Veterans Path does is they they teach that to the veterans, typically in outdoor settings so that they can kind of get their minds cleared. And then they also connect those veterans to develop a sense of community because that's so important. As you're getting out of the military, you've been a part of this community for four years, 10 years, however long you've been in. And that's the sense that you feel a camaraderie that's people you feel a camaraderie with, and then you leave. And Veterans Path helps to connect veterans with other veterans uh, to, to de- develop that sense of community. What we do now, uh, we've been doing those retreats that I mentioned, uh, but COVID uh, has also thrown a wrench in those plans, and we've started to go to online. So, Joe, I think you probably see me posting in the past few weeks about online meditation and mm-hmm. mindfulness training specifically for veterans and currently serving military members. We've started that with a partner, eMindful. eMindful is a platform where uh, it's, it's a meditation platform, meditation app, me- much like the, the other ones out there, but they offer both recorded, pre-recorded stuff and live teachers. The benefit of having the live, I mean, live virtual, like over Zoom uh, or Cisco uh, WebEx, having a person there on the other end is at the end of the mindfulness session, you can ask questions and and really delve a little bit deeper than just doing the meditation. That's been pre-recorded. They do offer those as well, but we we've gone with uh, the teachers for our online stuff. So that's uh, that's what we have with veterans path now until uh, COVID starts to again, kind of uh, lessen its effects on society and we were able to do more face to face. Uh, We'll we'll go back to those face-to-face and outdoor kind of wilderness retreats.
7: Yeah, I love the community aspect of that. I, um, you know, I I guess it was last year I ran the Marine Corps Marathon uh, supporting Team Red, White, and Blue, right? Because it's the same concept, right? It's the community of bringing veterans together for physical activity uh, to help give them a break uh, from some of those traumas that may be holding them back from having a breakthrough. So to hear right, a veteran's right. path, same thing. I mean, that's I, awesome. I love that.
8: I've run I've run that Marine Corps marathon, and uh, that last point .2 up the okay. hill towards the Iwo Jima uh, monument is brutal. Uh, it, it's really heartbreaking when you, <laughs> you see that at the end. But hey, good job. And, and Team Red, White, and Blue, I'm a huge fan of. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, ambassadors for Team Red, White, and Blue, Janelle McCauley, She's a Air Force, a former Air Force Lieutenant Colonel, also a big mindfulness practitioner. She works
7: with Veterans Path as well, um, so lots of overlap in the uh, in the different organizations. Absolutely, yeah. That uh, I'm sure you did better on that marathon than I did. I about, uh, <laughs> I guess it was mile eight, my knee just gave out on me. Right. So you you don't quit, right? When you run a marathon, you run the marathon. Yeah. Uh, but, right. but knowing the last point two is going to be so tough. I actually walked from 25 to 26. So I'd have enough steam to make sure I could run the, the, the last point two.
8: That's a tough point two.
7: It is a I, tough point two. <laughs> yes. Every, everyone forgets the point two, except the people running. Right. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, we're on a podcast radio show. This is kind of fun. I love this. It gives us an opportunity to meet amazing leaders like yourself. Uh, but this isn't unique for you, right? You have your own podcast as well.
8: Yeah, it's, uh, it's connected to Veterans Path um, and it's, it's entitled Veterans Path. Uh, we bring on veterans who have discovered mindfulness. We also bring on uh, very high-performing athletes, very high-performing corporate leaders who practice mindfulness or have some connection to mental health. And the goal behind the Veterans Path podcast, well, there's several, but uh, one of them is obviously to raise awareness of Veterans Path and what it is we do. But the other one is to break the stigma of seeking mental health support, because in in the military, we're all given huge pats on the back when we're going to the gym. If, if somebody knows somebody else is going to the gym, they're like, "Hey, add a boy, add a girl, way to go, way, way to get after it, way to keep yourself in good shape." But if somebody finds out you're going to go see, see a counselor or a psychologist, people instantly assume that something is wrong or that you're crazy. And that's a terrible stigma to have when what we should be doing is celebrating that person by, hey, great job, way to maintain your your mental health, way to look towards improving your mental health. Because if that's what we can do, if we can change the narrative on people seeking mental health to where it's a good thing to where it's seen in a positive light more people will do it and once people seek that mental health support more often that's the foundation that everything else is built upon you can once you're mentally healthy you're going to go to the gym and get into physical in, into good physical shape you're going to eat better you're going to communicate better in your family and your family health, your family mental health will improve. And I think that's so important with uh, with veterans, with the challenges, the unique challenges that we have. When I say veterans, I mean both those who have hung up the uniform and those who are still currently serving. The unique challenges that we have with deploying away from our families into combat zones, into the face of danger, that weighs on the families as well. Sure. So if we can get the mental health of the Service member or the veteran improved. Ideally, we can improve the mental health and the communication, the relationship relationships of the family as well. So there's uh there's many layers to it, but that's that's kind of the idea behind Veterans Path. We've had some phenomenal guests on there. Some some really famous mindfulness teachers and uh, and and meditation teachers. We've had some uh, gold medalists. We've had NFL players. So we've had we've had quite a selection of of folks on there, and it's it's a, kind of a passion project of mine, the, the podcast. So
7: thank you for bringing that up. And Absolutely. I really share that. Is, is it um, live now, or are you you're kind of in a hiatus? What's the status of that? And, <laughs> and is it on yeah. all you know Apple Podcasts? Is it on all the different platforms? It's, uh, it uh, is. It is on Apple and
8: Spotify, and uh, you know all the different major podcast platforms it is i am taking a hiatus between season one and season two the the goal behind season two was to actually interview veterans live as i was traveling around the country uh-huh. uh but as we've kind of changed this whole rv trip we're we're going to change back to what what i was doing before where i i interview uh folks via zoom much like you are interviewing me and then put that up uh, on on the podcast And we, it is. It is both a video and audio podcast. About halfway through season one, I figured out how to do video, uh, and and so it's on YouTube as well under
7: under Veterans Path. Well, it sounds like us. We just figured out the video a few episodes back as well. So yeah, it's it's great to have a face, right? Not just the voice. Yeah, yeah, the the face, the the uh, body language. You you get so much
8: more by watching the conversation. It's, it's funny when you think about it that you're watching a conversation between two people. But really, when you see it and you see the, like the body language and the, the smiles, the laughs, it's a lot more than just the audio. Obviously, the, the audio side is great if you're driving. You don't want to be watching the video side. Right. Yep. But uh, I, I think there's just so much more in, in the video side of things.
7: You know, one thing uh, you mentioned I wanted to touch on also is you had talked about veterans and active duty. Uh, my oldest son is a senior in high school, and he's planning to go into the Navy next year. So th- it's in the recruiting process as well, right? So he was seeking a counselor or seeing a counselor, and part of it is to help prepare him to make sure he's mentally ready to go in and participate in the military. And during the recruiting process, right, they want those records, and they want to make sure that he's a stable individual. And, right, uh, you know, part of my concern was... He's actually doing this to become more stable, right? As right. and be a better recruit, and will that be seen as a negative? Kind of like you said, right? If he's he's going to the gym and he's working out and he's getting his ASVABs ready, and that's all pat on the back at a boy, but the, yeah. but the the visual you talked about, the face on the recruiter, right? His look changed when we said, well, he's he is going to counseling. Yeah. And how do yeah, we get that more accepted, right? I mean, how does how does this right. become mainstream and approved within society?
8: Yeah, well, that that's kind of the mission here uh, is is not only my my podcast, not only Veterans Path, but my getting on other podcasts like yours is spreading this message uh, across uh, the the across society, really, not just the military, but but across society that. That it is okay, and not only is it okay, but it should be encouraged to, to seek that mental health support. The Navy, funny you should mention, they have a program at boot camp called the, the Warrior Toughness Program. And uh, it was created by, and when I tell you this, it sounds kind of like a, a joke, <laughs> but it was created by a, a Navy SEAL, a Navy chaplain, and a Navy psychologist. So the <laughs> joke with this one Navy SEAL who actually came on Veterans Path podcast a while back um, is a Navy SEAL, a chaplain, and a psychologist all walk into a bar? What what comes out of it? Or yeah. What comes out of it is the Navy Toughness Program. Uh, so Navy, well, you know, when your son joins the Navy, he'll be going through the Warrior Toughness Program because it is something that includes mindfulness and meditation. The reason I brought brought it up, um, they they actually teach that now at Navy boot camp because um, a couple of years back we had several. Uh, Navy ships collide. We had Navy ships running the ground. And when that was happening, there were some sailors who were catatonic they They were not responding to this this trauma. And the idea is that bringing mindfulness and meditation into the warrior toughness program will actually help them to respond more rationally in a traumatic event than for them to go catatonic,
7: yeah. I love that. Uh, and, and it's great to see, I guess, maybe a modernization of the forces maybe as a way to look at that, right? And bringing right. situational awareness, mindfulness into their training program as well. So that's awesome. As a dad, right? right? That's comforting right. to hear, right? Because you're always uh, concerned right. when your, your son's going to go off and join the service. Sure.
8: Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can only imagine. Uh, uh, now that I've got my three-year-old little girl and a one-year-old little boy, my mom always tells me that she still sees me as the little, as a little boy. Uh, And in my mind, now I imagining my daughter joining the services or my son joining the services. I'm like, in my mind, you're always going to be a little boy, a little girl. And uh, I I can only imagine the, uh, the feelings and emotions that you as a, as a parent experience. So mindfulness meditation may be helpful with that aspect as
7: well (laughs) yes yeah my wife and i at the recruiting station i think we're in two different mindsets right i was the proud dad and my wife was the concerned parent right so it was uh sure uh but you know hey that's uh we need people like yourself and my son that are gonna serve our country and keep us safe so indeed uh hats off to both of you um, well, thank you. So another thing I wanted to touch on, we, we kind of talked about it a little bit. Here we've got the video, so I'm going to bring up uh, <laughs> this. Uh, the Scrum on the Go board. Yes, sir. The uh, <laughs> So for us in the project management world, right, everybody uh, has a good idea of Scrum. How did this right. idea come about? You mentioned some partners that you're working with on that to support yeah. this.
8: Yeah. So- Yeah, Beth Davis and John Davis are both Scrum teachers. I got my Scrum Master and Scrum scrum product. I'm sorry if you can hear my dog. She's really whining here. She just uh, wants in
7: on the conversation.
8: She uh, she does. Uh, My Scrum product owner certification. I was really brought into Scrum and uh, turned on to it by a friend. And I really started enjoying practicing it at work. I I started implementing it in, in my Navy work. And another another really good friend of mine was teaching it uh, to his Navy EOD team that he was the commander of, and to see it started starting to be used in the military, I was I was really impressed. But then I, I saw that because we were all working in secure spaces, um, it's you couldn't carry these boards home with all the sticky notes on them. Um, so I I made a comment to one of my friends. I was like, man, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if, if we could make this a small thing and each person could have their own Scrum on Scrum on the Go board? It was all—it's kind of said in jest initially, yeah. and uh, and he was like, "Yeah, it would be." And guess what? If you could fold it and make it metal, it would be even cooler. And I was like, "Oh man, I think we might be onto something here." So we we created the the Scrum on the Go board. Uh, we started it like any entrepreneur uh, would uh, with a with a minimum viable product, the MVP, and uh, like literally it was. It was like, uh, I bought a, a dry erase board, folded it in half, and I was like, okay, this is, the, this, this is the MVP. Let's see if it works. And I started using it around this co-working space where I was working. And people started asking me what it was. And I was like, okay, so there's some interest. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's see if, uh, about manufacturing one. So we, we ended up, uh, manufacturing, uh, folding metal board, um, and then putting stickers with, with the backlog, the do, the doing and done on it. That was our, our second version and that, that's still available. I have seven of those left still on Etsy, uh, for sale because that's, that's where that was the next stage. Okay. Okay. Let's sell them online. I sold them on Etsy and, you know, was marginally successful with that. And then, uh, and then I had somebody contact us, uh, from this company that wanted to make them better by doing away with the stickies, actually printing it, manufacturing it. Um, and they've brought us to Amazon. Um, and I'm oh, sorry, the uh, the friend that I mentioned uh, at the beginning, Saul, Saul Gomez, he's a retired uh, Navy chief. He's doing phenomenal stuff, too. But he's the friend who was just like, oh, yeah, you should do this. And it was all said in jest. And now it's it's kind of taken off into something that uh, that I hope becomes even more successful and that all project managers and scrum masters, scrum product owners will uh, will all own one at some point. That's kind of my vision. <laughs>
7: yeah. Well, I can say I bought three of them. Right. So I am. Yeah, I, 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 I will be your it. advocate and I will uh, pitch this for you all day long. I use it for my my businesses. Right. To organize my work. Um, it's it fits in my backpack. Uh, it's very easy to use. We have one, uh, my son, who I mentioned, right, trying to go into uh, getting ready for the military He's putting all his activities on there so that he's tracking his work that way. Excellent. And then we have another one that our family's using, right? Just for different things we have, especially four kids at home trying to do school, uh, my wife and I trying to do our work and trying to take care of things. It just helps you be organized, right? And it's not
9: overburdening. That's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah.
7: It's not just, I mean, obviously the start of it is the Scrum project management tool, but man, right. b- bring it home, use it at home. It's, yeah, it's a great tool. It's,
8: it's it's nice to have it handy and always visible, right? So you have it there on your desk uh, right now. And when I when I started marketing it on LinkedIn, I had a lot of people say, well, why can't I just use this? Why can't I just create an app that does this or have it on my computer? Well, that's, that's the whole point is that if you have it on your computer, if you have it on uh, an app, as soon as you open up your phone, it's going to get lost behind 35 other apps, or it's going to get lost on your computer behind PowerPoint. Or if you're like us and you're in the military and you have this on your computer, you can't bring it home because it has, because you're working in a secure space. Whereas what you have in front of you there now, Karen, Joe had it a second ago, you can carry that back and forth. Obviously, you wouldn't want to write anything classified on it, but you can bring that into secure spaces. You can bring it out of secure spaces. You can use it when you're not using your phone, you can use it when you are, you can have it up in front of you in in front of your computer while you have your PowerPoints, while you have your emails and everything else, the work is visible. So that that's the kind of the beauty behind it. And going back to your having three of them, I have, I myself have two of them. I have a personal one and a work one. My wife has one. And then even our nanny, uh, when we lived in Virginia, she saw us using one and she was like, you know what? I w- I'd like one of those. <laughs> so I made my nanny one too and uh and she's been using it with great success. And you know the uh the we talked men we talked earlier about project management and mindfulness kind of tying together. This thing also helps you uh to to de-stress and to be mindful about what is going on right now because it's got the stickies on it that you don't move to the doing column until you're ready to actually work on it and that makes you be more mindful about actually working on that specific task rather than trying to get 15 tasks all done at once and multitasking and then never actually accomplishing those tasks the the scrum on the board scrum on the go board helps you to focus and get through those tasks
7: kind of one or two at a time yeah and i you know there's tools like trello and all that stuff right, that you can use yeah. on your machine but the what the reason i love this um especially for um my son and family type settings is it's so easy to see and the visualization of it and having it in your hand makes it tangible, right? When it's on your phone or on a a laptop, you could, you see it, right? But you're not, you're not actually picking up the sticky and moving it over. And that makes it so much more real. And that's why people have scrum boards, right? In offices, right? right? It's not just on your laptop. It's, it's actually a board that they have. So I love and, the and fact it's that it's physical. physical. Yeah.
8: Yeah. And there's physiological proof that, you know, actually touching a sticky and moving it from one column to the next, you get that dopamine hit. Whereas on your phone, if you just check it off and say, okay, yeah, it's done, you still get a little bit of dopamine, but tactile, the tactical, tactile sensation of touching that sticky is dramatically more than, than checking something on your phone. And you're less distracted because you, you're not doing it on your phone.
7: Absolutely. You know, we we try to have a, a few veterans on our show every year, and in, in large part because I am so committed to the veterans um, and well, providing for that. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, but serving those who serve us, right, is is what we all should be practicing. And I always try to get some life lessons from them, right, and and then bring that into my audience, but also into my own life. And and we've had so many that have taught us a bunch of different things, but right. what is, if there's a nugget that you can think back to the training you've received or the the education you received, what is it that you can bring to the listeners maybe as, as a kind of a golden nugget from John McCaskill of military <laughs> training gave me something that maybe it wouldn't have got otherwise? Yeah. Wow. Sorry to stump there's, you on that one.
8: <laughs> the, no, the, no you, you haven't stumped me. I, uh, I would say that there's a lot of nuggets out there. I'm just trying to think of the golden one. You know, I, I think the nugget, and I don't, I, I don't think this is military specific. I think it's just leadership specific, is that you should always be learning. Learning from the good and the bad examples. So in my time, 24 years in the military, uh, I ran into some phenomenal leaders that I took lessons from, and I ran into some, some folks who were, I'll just say, less than phenomenal. And with that, I, I always had a notebook in my pocket or you know uh, in, on my desk, and I would write down little lessons, uh, little what we call after-action reports or lessons learned. And I would write these down about what to do from the good leaders and what not to do from the bad leaders. So um, I guess if I had one golden nugget to share, it would be um, have a growth mindset and always be willing to learn from from those around you, whether it's learning what to do or learning what not to do.
7: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, when I talk project management or do my own webinars or or, or do coaching, I, I always bring up the fact that as youth, we're trained, we're coached, we're given leadership and for some reason people snap their finger at 18 or 21 and think now you have it and and we <laughs> and we don't do that anymore. And what I love about the military from all the interaction I have with people through VPMMA and just conversations is they carry that forward, right? You constantly are being trained, you're constantly being coached, you're constantly being led. So that to me is the, is a differentiator right between the corporate world and the the military. And how do we bring that, right? How do we get that back into corporate world, right? How do we let adults know it's okay to have a coach? It's okay to have somebody try to teach you something new. I don't know everything. I'm constantly seeking out guidance. And to me, that's the strength of the military.
8: A lot of the time we're all reading.
7: We're reading self-help books. We're reading
8: project management books. We're reading leadership books or management books. So why is it okay to read about it, but not learn from the actual, like get the word from the horse's mouth, right? Yeah. So if you have a coach, uh, I think you're going to get that much more from a coach than you are from a book. And I, I mean, my bookshelves, not now because I'm living in an RV, but my <laughs> bookshelves uh in, in the house are filled with leadership and management books because I, I enjoy reading that stuff. But then I, I hope that I can teach that stuff to friends to co-workers to other leaders to followers Uh, i like to think of myself as a mentor maybe that's a better way is is seek a mentor rather than a coach because i think people maybe have a a negative connotation about the word coach uh or life coach or leadership coach a mentor and uh, i I think everybody needs mentors throughout our lives no matter where you are what stage uh, how old whatever you need
7: mentors I, i just i always joke at uh you know, we tell our kids, go practice your instruments, go practice baseball, right? Don't you? So when the time comes for your performance or the time comes for your game, you've practiced it and you're going to do well. Yet I right. never see anybody in a corporate setting practicing. And True. and we wonder True. why projects fail half the time. It's because we never <laughs> practice them. We're constantly out there trying to do it without practice. So I, I'm on, uh, I'm on my, uh, leadership horse here of how do we bring practice back into corporate world and learn from our lessons of the youth, right. And, and understand that there's value there. Right. We'll see if I get right. success with that. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but, but it's, uh, that's part of my em- empowering people to deliver results is right. Is empower them, give them the tools to be successful and practice is one of those tools. Well, we are, uh, oh, absolutely coming up on, uh, on the end of our hour here. So wow. this went by super fast. Hey, and the other it, thing I want to mention did. is you mentioned books and reading. I just, um, we just got Jocko Willink's book
8: on oh, leadership.
7: Yeah. Which uh, one? Oh geez. It, the got first two. Got, uh,
8: extreme leadership and the dichotomy of leadership, the,
7: the extreme leadership one. That's the one I uh, yeah. just picked up. So I'm yeah. Uh, he
8: and Leigh Fabin did a great job with that one.
7: Just uh, so trying to 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 learn different types of leadership from different experiences and backgrounds. So um, who knows? Maybe we'll get him on the show and he can talk about that book one day as well. Uh, yeah.
8: Yeah. If you get if you get Jocko, you're uh, you're you're getting a, a great guy there. He's got some so many great lessons uh, and and his combat background uh and his corporate side together i
7: mean it's a it's a great combination well obviously i think we had a great combination when with you on the show today so thank you so much for having us (laughs) right you You you. brought uh knowledge to me and an understanding of something that i you know i kind of was aware of but really never understood so thank you for that Uh, is there anything that you have you want to share with the audience of how they can get in touch with you or anything upcoming? Uh, yeah
8: that would be great. Yes. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, John McCaskill. It's J-O-N-M-A-C-A-S-K-I-L-L. And there's two of us, but I'm the one Navy SEAL mindfulness guy. Um, and uh, if you wanted to find me on other social media, I'm on um, uh, Instagram as Mindful Frogman. My email is just john, J-O-N, at veteranspath.org. Awesome. Well thank I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're at the end of this hour because I think my dog is about
7: to freak out. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been Although
8: uh, this has been fantastic.
7: Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on, uh, John. Thank you so much. And obviously, thank you to all our listeners as well. Please be sure to go out and visit projectmanagementofficehours.com to check out all of our past shows. And boy, do we have an all-star lineup of guests coming up over the remainder of the year. We have uh, Cindy Dionisio and Mike Griffiths, who are two of the lead auth- authors on PIMBOK 7 that's going to be coming out, and that is an uh, earth-shattering, groundbreaking change to the pimbok, uh, so you need to get that. Uh, Elizabeth Heron from the UK, Priya Patra from India, Peter Taylor from the UK, Ben Aston from Canada, Jason Westland, uh, Cornelis Fickner, and Kieran Bondale. And then we start next year with our first guest from Africa, Billy Moapwe from Zambia. Wow. Uh, lots of great guests coming up. And I'm going to find time to fit Jocko in there as well. Uh, so a reminder that these shows are recorded, right? We're live now, but we record these, release them as a podcast. So please subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your podcast platform of choices. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Visit the PMOSquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO and all their project management services. That's it for now. Office Hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.
10: hours with College Fashionista. It's Amy Levin here. Today's guest is Joanne Wilson, co-founder of Gotham Gal Ventures and female entrepreneur. We chat about what investing really is and how to get your foot in the door upon graduation. Listen up and enjoy. So I'd love to just get right into it and have you talk a little bit about how you kind of started your investments in young businesses and and what even interests you in in starting what you're doing today?
11: I mean, I've had a long career and um, I would say that I have not gone about my career in your typical trajectory that I think most people of my generation did, you know, which is You graduate from college, you get a job, you just keep going up the cycle. A lot of women got off the train, had their kids, and then couldn't figure out how to get back to work, or you had ones that did part-time, or ones that never, you know, stopped working. And, you know, the kind of job opportunities that were available when I graduated are very different than the multiple opportunities that are available now. And so I have had probably 16 or 17 lives in regards to a career and so I would say that what I'm doing now in regards to investing is all the dots kind of connected and so I look at my investments and meet with the founders I've invested in, help the founders I invested in very similar to probably one of my first jobs out of school where I managed at 21 years old like 150 women and I think management is the key as well you know, really success in the business world as well as sales. And so I think that those skills have sort of transcended into what I'm doing now.
10: And I think that those are important skills, entrepreneur or not, right? Because you need to be able to advocate for yourself, even if you're working for a company.
11: I think, you, A, you need to advocate for yourself, and B is you need to be able to work with other human beings. You know, you can have fantastic founders that have terrible people skills. And at one point, it's going to come back to haunt you,
10: right? What would you say sets an entrepreneur apart from someone who's not an entrepreneur?
11: I think most entrepreneurs are not hireable. That's
10: really funny.
11: That's, you know, I just that's don't think they're very hireable true. People. You know, I mean, that is that um, they just cannot work for somebody else. They have to do their own thing. They run at their own pace, and they're full of new ideas and concepts, and they're great at executing on them. And so I think, I remember years ago, I moderated a panel with four women entrepreneurs, and I asked all of them, if this doesn't work out, what would they do? And they all started laughing. They're like, "Uh, yeah, we'd start another business, because they couldn't work for anyone else. And I think it's a a, a certain breed of person. Can you
10: easily identify when a company is going to be successful or not?
11: Well, you know, I'm a really early stage investor. So, you know, you're talking about out of like the 110 plus businesses I've invested in, I'd say a good 65, 70% of them I probably gave their first dollar to. So, what we're really talking about is people. A really great entrepreneur is going to figure it out even though the business model might not be perfect. And so, for me, when I invest in someone, A, I'm investing in the person. Obviously, it has to be a company. Or a business model that I believe like makes sense and is filling a void that very few people are doing. That I can see why we got to start it today, so that five years from now it's big and it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. But it might end up going through many different iterations as it evolves. But a really good entrepreneur is going to figure that out.
10: Yeah, and I look back and I think about college fashionista when I started it. To what it is now and how many turns it's taken and right it's it's so impossible for companies when they start to think that like they're gonna follow that same path and I look at that when I hire people on my team like sometimes they don't necessarily have the resume or the skill that I necessarily need for that role but if I like intuitively feel good about them I know that they're gonna be fantastic
11: I say to people all the time if you see a red flag You don't need to know what the flag is. As long as you see it, you can avoid it. I mean, I've had people say, I just knew that wasn't the right person. That wasn't the right hire. That wasn't the right idea. I couldn't articulate why. Yep. But I I just knew. And, you know, you should trust your gut.
10: Yeah, I completely agree. What investment have you been most proud about to date?
11: You know, I love all my investments. They're, all, they're my, all my children. I mean, there is no one I could point to. Uh, it's really gratifying seeing many of them that I was involved with four or five years ago and now raising significant funds and having success that they had saw for themselves when they began the business. That's really rewarding. I mean, I think a classic you know, feel good is I remember going to a board meeting and, you know, I was first dollar in a company and I walked upstairs for the board meeting and they moved into offices and I got up on the elevator and, you know, you see the name of the company on the wall and there's like, you know, 75 people sitting in the room working. And that is incredibly rewarding. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Like I was here when there was just the entrepreneur and me. And so that's pretty cool.
10: Yeah. And it's so special that you get to see that with many different businesses. I can imagine that continues to motivate you to do what you do.
11: Yeah, I mean, it is incredibly rewarding. And so I feel as uh, I'm very entrepreneur friendly. I mean, I want to see these people succeed. And of course, I want to have success with alongside them. But, you know, I've had some that have gone down the tubes, um, and I still have a relationship with them.
10: Yeah, why do you think a business fails? Like, is there a common thread between the companies that you've seen that have had failure?
11: Um, No, I think the companies fail sometimes just because, you know, there wasn't the timing was too early or, um, you know, it wasn't the right team or they couldn't get capital because others didn't believe in them or, you know, we tried and it ends up there's really not a market for this. I mean, there are so many different reasons why they fail and, by the way, just as many reasons why they succeed. I mean, in many ways, it has to be a perfect storm.
10: A little bit of luck. Yeah. How do you recommend college students and entrepreneurs in general deal with burnout and the amount of stress that's on their plate?
11: I mean, I think that it's very easy to get caught in the weeds on a daily basis as a student or as an entrepreneur or as anything in life. And the importance, um, you know, as health and wellness has become a bigger conversation in the echo chamber of life, there's something to be said for that. I mean, taking off a day or two and recharging your batteries, um, putting all your shit aside, you actually come back much stronger and with a he- clearer head, and you feel better, and at the end of the day, you become a better entrepreneur and a better student, and also being thoughtful about the cadence, I mean, waiting to the last minute to get everything done is never a great way to operate your life. Um, but taking those times out to enjoy friends, family, uh, you know, sleep, those are just as important as getting the job done.
10: I think that it comes with a little bit of maturity, like you learn those things with maturity, because when I started my business, I was 22, and I remember being so obsessed with answering emails within like 10 minutes of receiving them. And I felt like if I did it, like I wasn't good enough and my business wasn't going to get ahead. And now I'm so much more productive with my time and I have such a better work-life balance. And it's I, I think maybe it's, you know, easier to tell an 18, a 22-year-old that. But it really does, like that formula of taking time off and resting really does work. And it's it's so important, but hard to think that when you're young because you just feel like if you're not doing something all the time, um, you're not always networking. You're not always working hard or cramming for tests that like you're not going to get ahead.
11: I totally agree with you.
10: But hopefully we can continue to preach that message and maybe there'll be mm-hmm. a change. If there was any any last piece of advice you would give our audience, what would it be?
11: I think one of the advice that I continually give college students particularly is when they graduate, unless you know like I am going to be a investment banker or I am going to be whatever it may be in a much more enterprise businesses where there's a cadence, there's a path, people come on campus, they interview, you know, that's a whole different thing. If you see these people get these jobs in September, um, it's a very different life. For others, I think, which is the majority of them, who the hell knows what they're going to do when they're 21 years old? And so I say to everyone, if you can afford to, take off a month or two before you go and start your career because you will never have that time again. You just spent literally, you know, the first 21 years of your life, essentially, I mean, I guess starting at three or four, in school, and you need time to breathe and clear your head and rethink about this next journey and figure out what industry you want to work in. So if you want to be in food, figure out how you get into food. If you want to be in fashion, figure out how to get into fashion. If you want to be in media, figure out how to get into media. And I think many students find themselves almost paralyzed that it's not the right job or it's not the right you know, first one. Who cares? Just figure out the industry, take the first leap, get the first job, and then what happens is the hardest one is actually the second job because you want a job that you go upward, not across. But eventually you get into a cadence and then you find yourself, wow, you know, I'm 25, I'm 26 years old, I've got a career and I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward. And even for entrepreneurs, I think the value of going and working in another company and understanding how companies work and don't work and how people manage and don't manage, um, those are things that it's, it's sort of nice to uh, learn on someone else's dime. And then you can take it on your road as you choose to perhaps start your own business. But, um, you know, that's my advice to everyone who is graduating college.
10: That is very, very wise advice. And I so appreciate your time. And, you know, you really are a huge role model in in the industry. And, And I just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to our students and give all this valuable insight.
11: Pleasure. Thanks for reaching out.
10: Wonderful. Take care. Good luck. All
11: right. Take care. Bye. Thanks
10: for tuning in to the latest episode of College Fashionistas Office Hours. And thanks to you, Joanne, for speaking with us. We'll be back in 2018 with a fantastic lineup of guests. Have a happy holidays and great new year. Bye.